This is East Carolina defensive coordinator Blake Carroll, and you're listening to the Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. to our draft preview, our draft special right here on the Sports Objective. And we'll start out with Bubba Rosenbaum. How are you, sir? All the way live from China Grove. China? Yeah, a very rainy China, China Grove, a tiny grove, uh, something like something like that. But uh, no, doing well, Dave. You know, been a pretty long week uh, at school. Uh, you know, the, the kids can tell that it's getting close to summer. And so, but, um, you know, Glad to be here talking some football. Well, no doubt we got the we got spring fever tonight, and uh, our interpreter for this evening, all the way from the Grange, is Kyle Barber. What's going on, Dave? Yes, right. Uh, with, with Stevie Fly there, we we need to translate for him uh, to people not equated with that far northeastern North Carolina twang. So uh, right. we'll, we'll, we'll we'll translate it for him. Hey, I heard that it's a draft special. What is the draft special tonight? What what's, what's special on draft, Dave? We got we got some. We got some corners. What we got? Well, for some, it won't be Bud Light. So, um, but it won't or will? It it won't. (laughs) Okay, good, good deal. All right, (laughs) that's a whole other show. I'm going to stay away from that. But uh, Stevie Fly, thank you for coming in, man. Appreciate you back. Yeah, if you can understand what I'm saying, Kyle, can you understand what I'm saying? I can understand you, Stevie. I I I speak I speak I speak your language fluently. My concern is for. (laughs) Is for us uh, for people maybe from the maybe from the Triangle area or maybe maybe DG. I you know I don't know if he's gonna have trouble understanding you. Hey, he understood me perfectly a while ago when I introduced myself. Well, he 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 did feel calls from all over North Carolina when he was. Uh, yeah, I'm sure North he's North. used to that. But thank you guys for having me tonight. I really really appreciate you to let me come on tonight. No doubt, David Glenn joins us. DG back. Uh, um, I don't know how many times, but uh, welcome back into the show, my friend. It's great to be with y'all, Dave. Uh, it's always fun to get your invitation. And for the record, probably 35 or so years ago, I might have needed Kyle as a translator for certain things. But now that I've been a North Carolinian for more than 35 years, and I had that statewide presence for probably 12 of those years, I feel like I have, I at least can understand many of the dialects, <laughs> even if I can't speak them myself. Have you ever ran into having to having to field a call from a hoy toiter? Hoy toiter, yeah. Oh yeah. I actually had my staff keep track of the names of the cities and towns that people would call in from. So there's there's a record of that somewhere, and it's it's wow. I didn't even know there were four hundred some towns and cities in North Carolina, but I'm not sure of every last one that's on there. But we got calls from pretty much every last corner of this statewide universe you know I, we were coming back from the outer banks my, i grew up always going to the outer banks and one of my wife's first trips she always went down to like surf city in that area and uh we stopped at um uh, y'all know uh if you go to the outer banks y'all know that little uh the little convenience store right before you cross the alligator river bridge on highway 64 oh yeah absolutely. yeah and, I, and I, we stopped there and my wife went in and she came out and 
Um, we might not have been married to it. She might have been my girlfriend at the time. And uh, she came out and said, there was a guy on there giving directions like he lived around here, but he sounded like he's from Australia. I said, no. I said, no, he's just from around Ocracoke. He's a hoi toiter. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there's a, uh, if you're looking for some fun, and I love geography, but there's a book like called North Carolina Gazette, and it talks about the origins of every town. And it also has like a history of how the name, uh, how the town got a name and all that. It's like at Barnes and Noble, whatever, but I think it's called North Carolina Gazette. It's a really good uh, read if you are a nerd like me and you want to know why like Lakama is named Lakama. Um, it's supposedly a man had a, uh, had three daughters named Lucy, Carrie, Mary. So they named <laughs> Lakama, North Carolina. Wow. Who, who, who knows enough French to translate Lagrange? Not Lagrange. me. Gosh. Lagrange. It's very simple. I hadn't done that since 91, but I left, I left French yeah, behind exactly. a long time. Ago. I took the a barn. lot of French classes, too. What, what the, is it the farm? The barn. Ah, uh, the barn. Yep. That's right. I forgot that. I did know that, but I've, that's been a long time. Why, why nobody has opened up a bar and grill in LaGrange and called it the barn, I, I do not know, but maybe I'll make that happen one day. All right, there you go. Let's talk some uh, draft. That's why you guys and we all here. I, I'm so excited. I'm going to start with DG. DG, and Bubba, help me out if I'm wrong on this, but the last time the Pirates had this many guys that have a potential to be drafted, you had to go all the way back to, well, the Skip Holtz era, 2009, but also but even before that, the record's 1983, right, Bubba, off the top of my head? Yeah, as far as uh, multiple draft selections for the Pirates in that 2010 draft, like you said, following up. I'm final, sorry, yeah. But it was coming off the final year of the Skip right. Holt era. And then, yeah, that 1983 team with that 1984 draft, uh, I don't recall the exact numbers. Eight, it, eight off the top of my head. It, is it, yeah, it's at least seven or eight that got drafted and then – at least five or six more with free agent deals. And so, yeah, 13 or 14 Pirates uh, get an opportunity. What about 92, Bubba? I'll, I'll um, double-check that number. And just off the top of my head, I, obviously you had um, Robert Jones, uh, then uh, Blake. Jeff Blake oh. and go to the Jets, and then uh, I believe John Jett. John Hunter, Jett. Hunter also got drafted. Uh, and Chris Luke, Hall hit drafted. Luke Fisher uh, went to the Vikings. Who did you say, Bubba? Chris Hall, didn't he get drafted? He got an opportunity. I I think he may have got drafted. So, yeah, I'll I'll research that number for the 92 draft. All right. But, DG, is this uh, the excitement we have in Pirate Nation? This is the most we've had in a long, long time, and it shows the direction that the program is going. So, we're obviously uh, with Mike Houston, you know, I heard this week, by the way, DG, I don't know if you did. Michigan, when we play them on September the second, is going to be the number one team in the country. So good luck with that. Well, right? Could, could be, could be. Wherever they're ranked, they're going to be a highly touted team. Obviously, it is exciting. I mean, I'm excited for a guy. The first time I saw Keaton Mitchell play, I thought he might have NFL talent, and obviously, what he put together for the Pirates during his career lived up to that standard. And I don't know all the intel that you guys might have, but my guess is that he would be the first pirate off the board. Third round draft. And, you know, we all love watching Holton Aylers. Who knows if he'll get a legitimate opportunity or not. CJ Johnson has been on the NFL radar for a while. Ryan Jones is a nice tight end. 
So I, I don't think they'll approach those kinds of record numbers you were talking about in terms of draft picks. Uh, but the number when you combine draft picks and free agents should be a good one. And, and absolutely. I mean, you guys know how I feel about Mike Houston. The guy has won literally everywhere he's ever been. He has an amazing track record going back to the high school ranks here in North Carolina, but really every head coaching stop in between. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan of what he's done at my son, Anthony's alma mater, ECU. Uh, and I've, I've enjoyed getting to know him a little bit as well. As I told you guys last time I was with you, I did a speaking engagement with him this year where it was just Mike Houston and me on stage, you know, like Oprah Winfrey style, you know, you know, you got your questioner and your questionee. Uh, and we had a lot of time together that particular weekend down in Wilmington. And uh, he actually remembered when I interviewed him when he was the head coach at Lenore Ryan forever ago. Um, and, of course, I've interviewed him at almost every stop since then. So uh, he, he's a real personable guy. He's a real sharp guy. And his football coaching track record speaks for itself. No question. You're looking at third round. We've talked about so it looks like Keaton Mitchell and and uh, DG the guy with that, you know, he's taking a lot of criticism and uh, and I'm talking about Holt Naylor's, un, I think, unfairly. By a handful of people who who, who have some sort of, I, I don't know what their agenda is, but it, it, it's, it's ridiculous. But go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, the one of the reasons why, uh, the only reason I bring that up tonight uh, being a special night is I'm pulling so hard for that dude. I wish there was some way I could wave my magic wand and him to go to first round so I could tell all those people uh, to stuff it. Um, you keep your magic wand away from Holton. <laughs> I'm not touching that. But anyway. Um, yeah, that's kind of what we were saying. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But anyway, uh, he's looking like he he was a guy that I was saying seventh round, like the very last round. But I'm even hearing now, DG, up to fourth round after yeah. he has the MVP of the Birmingham Bowl. MVP of the Hula Bowl and MVP of the NFLPA Bowl out in uh, Pasadena and the Rose Bowl. So, you know, you're talking about a guy and uh, it's just amazing. It's like some people want to be right. It's like you vote for someone and I'm not getting this conversation, but you vote once for someone. And you're like, I don't care how good a man or woman he is or she is. I'm going down with that person. You know, I've got to be righteous. I got to be right about it. And I think that's what it is with him. So I'm pulling really hard for him and I'm hoping he goes beyond my pick of seventh round. I'm going to go hoping he goes the fourth round. Like I'm hearing. That would be awesome for him. That might be the best case scenario. One thing I've learned, and I, I just wrote a column at chapelboro.com where I summarized the state of North Carolina prospects in this year's draft, but also the ACC wide prospects. So ECU is included um, along with app state and everybody else in the state. And one thing I've learned from previous years trying to do these draft projections, they can be fairly accurate in the first and second round, sometimes even third round. When you get past that, the difference between ending up a fourth round pick or an undrafted free agent is really hard to predict. Really, really, really hard to predict. So there's that top, whatever you want to call it, top 100 and some that we know will be draft picks. And after that, I mean, you know, it's like the old saying, it only takes one team to fall in love with you. It only takes one girl up to fall in love with you. If, if 29 teams think you can't make it, but one team has you on their board as a fourth round pick, 
that's all it takes. Doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Are there either Stevie or or or, or, uh, or DZ or anybody else for that matter? Are, is anybody hearing um, anything about Isaiah Winstead getting drafted at all? He he is surprising to me with his hands. He, he'll catch everything you throw at him. That his name hasn't came up more than here's, it has. Here's the deal: they were impressed with him on the pro day. I do know at East Carolina. The one thing that I I knew, and I've uh, done some research on it a little bit, the thing with Isaiah is for the NFL is his breakaway speed is not there, unfortunately, uh, in their eyes. I think he's fantastic. I think that anybody that gets him will be getting a quality receiver, a guy that you throw the ball up in the air, a 50-50 ball, he's going to get it. So uh, I don't really worry about the breakaway speed. Like, I mean, I'm not a – uh, NFL scout, NFL guy. I don't have any money on it, anything. But for me, well, that could be said for CJ then, because he really doesn't have breakaway speed either. Yeah, he's uh, another one that both uh, uh, CJ is one that we're uh, is free agent. Pretty much, it's like what we said. It's going to be Keith Mitchell and Holton are pretty much safe locks for being drafted, and everybody else is pretty much free agency or going to the XFL, USFL, or CFL. One of those FLs. Now, yeah. CJ, I have seen CJ going the highest I've seen him going in all the mock drafts is fifth, fifth round to the Saints. That was the highest I've seen. Everything else, and that was just one, but everything else has got him undrafted free agent. But and so what about Winstead? I guess undrafted. I had everything I see on Winstead is undrafted free agent. Okay. And another curious thing is I've heard of rumblings for Ryan Jones being a great talent, especially speaking of speed. Um, a great athlete. Oh, yeah, he's a locker room lawyer. But the problem, yeah, that's, you know, you want to talk about, uh, David Glenn will talk about this. You want to talk about a cancer as far as a locker room. This is a guy that literally, I'll say this now, and um, not to rain on his parade, um, but he literally laid down in that Houston game. I have no respect for players that get mad because Holton Naylor's is getting all the attention, so I'm not going to play. What are you talking about? You're not going to. You're not going to play well in a game knowing that this night that we're talking about now is coming up. If anything, be selfish and get 50,000 balls, you know, like 50 catches. That Not that you're going to get many, but um, but he, he's one that I really lost a lot of respect for, um, for somebody to do that just because you're not getting a lot of attention uh, being NIL or um, senior day stuff. When Holton was there, that's a local kid that's been there for – the very bad years, the end of the Montgomery era, and he's taking a lot of lumps for the for the program. And he's the quarterback. The quarterback is always going to get the most love and hate from any program and any franchise. Well, one thing we all know is that whereas scouts evaluate prospects first on their physical abilities, right? You know, what were your numbers like? What was your production like? And after the top tier where your numbers speak for themselves and the caliber of teammates you had and the caliber of the opposition and how you played in big games and your statistics and also how you do it, your pro day and, and, and even just measurables, like, you know, the stuff that they do during that cattle call uh, that, that is the NFL combine. Once you get past that stuff, most scouts will tell you that if they see 10 prospects that are somewhat similar and hard to differentiate, it becomes about the intangibles. Who's a good teammate? Who loves football? Who has a chance to get better? Who's dedicated in the weight room? Who doesn't have, you know, 
criminal questions or bad teammate questions or work ethic questions or complicated family type questions. Like if you're a guy that might be on the fringe of the roster, the last thing they need in you is a headache. And there's, there's nine guys with similar measurables and statistics as you. So the last thing you need on your resume is something like you just described, Dave. Yeah, and Ryan Jones, you know, Ryan, we, we talked to Ryan. He, he was a part of the podcast. He had an NIL deal with us uh, back in 21, and he's not a bad kid. I don't know what happened in the end there, but there was a lot of talk that he was causing some problems in the locker room and uh, didn't play in the Temple game, I don't believe, and didn't play in the bowl game. So that kind of verifies that. But um, I, I, another guy that, you know, we mentioned CJ, and we'll, we'll get off the Pirates and, t- and talk about some other stuff like the Panthers have a number one pick, but – we mentioned CJ already and maybe having a chance to be drafted or be a free agent. CJ's a guy that I really think could have benefited from coming back for one more year. You mentioned that interview process, DG, and, and uh, CJ Johnson's a kid that I, 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 I like CJ. I see a lot of CJ in me when I was his age. I, I think CJ has a lot of growing up to do, and I think not only from a football standpoint but from a maturity standpoint, if he came back one more year, I think he'd have had a much better chance of being drafted. And by the way, guys, uh, as far as CJ, what I'm hearing from the scouts – he was not to them. Uh, he has the raw talent, but he was not in uh, his physical conditioning mm. was not there. And that goes back to maturity. Yep. That was the, the reason why he probably won't be drafted this weekend is because he's one of those guys, like you talk about DG, that he might go, uh, what was it, Stevie, fifth round? Yeah. He's a guy that might not go drafted. He might not be drafted because of his physical conditioning. And that was just one out of like 20 mock drafts I looked at across the board. Yeah, one of the biggest changes I've seen in college athletes over 35 years is their willingness to turn pro, really, regardless of whether they're even going to be drafted or not. This applies to – it used to be, for example, in basketball, the guys would mostly – there are always exceptions, but way more often. If they knew they were first-round NBA picks, they'd leave. And if they did not have a promise to be a first-round pick, which is in the NBA where all the guaranteed money is, or most of it, they would stay in school and try to upgrade mm-hmm. their status. Um, fast forward, you know, not just now, but for quite a while now, there are guys who turn pro because they're tired of college. There are guys who turn pro because they have a, young, a child and a young person to take care of. There are guys who turn pro because, you know, they want to take care of their mom or dad or whatever. Uh, or maybe they're not doing well academically, or maybe their their coach left, or they don't think they're going to be their team's going to be as good next year. I'm not saying any of that applies to C.J. Johnson. I've just seen I've just seen a complete evolution in change in the way a large number of these young guys, football or basketball, view this decision, and way more of them nowadays are just ready to turn the page and say. I still love football, but it's time for me to get paid somewhere to yeah. play this game. And if it's not the NFL, I want to get paid somewhere else. Well, how's it stay in college? You can get paid. Yeah. Um, nowadays, nowadays, hey, that's the that's one of the upsides to NIL. Depends on the school, depends on the you know what's available. But I think one of the huge upsides of NIL is that a lot of guys who otherwise would have turned pro are yeah. staying in school. I mean, I've seen that's really easy to document on the basketball side. Um, there just aren't as many players, and, and more of those deals become public. Yeah, I think NIL money, and I know that's not really, we're really talking about the night we're covering the draft, but you know, we just had a huge donation come to East Carolina Athletics, $5 million, largest one 
one some lump sum private donation in ECU history for us all at once for five million bucks, and it went to the indoor practice facility and to the baseball facility, which is great. But you know, in the back of my mind, I almost thought, damn, I bet we could have got more use out of that money through NIL deals. And uh, but you know, you, you hate to you hate to say at this point is that more valuable than building an indoor practice facility? And I would argue that it is. I would argue yeah. that a kid would much rather have. Um, few, uh, you know, twenty grand in pocket or thirty grand in pocket, whatever the NIL deal is, versus an indoor practice facility. Well, here's the thing: we, I we agree that it's definitely NIL. The problem is, is that we're playing catch up. So we should have done that indoor practice facility years ago. We're not. <laughs> well, according gonna... to Corey Glor, Tulane's going to put an inflatable one on. <laughs> oh wow! What's he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but all I know is He's talking about a bubble like a, a lot of them have. Uh, so, what is it inflatable? Isn't that like when the Cowboys kind of started off? They would like the they had the top he, he allowed, said inflatable. Had the well, I don't know the specifics of Tulane, but I'll, I'll find an example of what I'm talking about. I, I'll, in my head, they're going to be practicing at a bounce house. <laughs> <laughs> you get those pretty cheap. Uh, so our trustees, hey, you don't have to do 18 million guys. You can it's just go out of from a, a Dave, place. Dave, something I was trying to bring up a moment ago when I had no volume uh, was we were talking about Keaton Mitchell, Keaton at the combine. Uh, he measured uh, what I'm seeing, 5'8", 179 pounds. Tajay Spears, the talented running back from Tulane, uh, was 5'10", and um, 200 or 201 pounds. And then you had um, that's very comparable to uh, C.J. Johnson. Excuse me, Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson was five eleven um, and right around like one ninety seven, one ninety eight. And by the way, thanks to Bubba, the highest draft picks we've ever had. It's a tie, DG twenty fourth overall. Robert Jones in ninety two, and uh, Chris uh, Johnson uh, was that. Uh, let's see, two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Yeah, it was uh, twenty four as well. So, how much are you guys buying into the to to Keaton's size being a hindrance? Because I mean, you like we we were talking about before we came on. You know, Darren Sproles was five six, hundred and eighty pounds. Barry Sanders five eight, two hundred pounds. How I mean is, come on. I mean, if look, I'm a Steelers fan. If they want to, if all these other teams want to buy into, we can't draft him because of his size. And the Steelers pick up on it by all means, but no, I'm not buying that size thing. There's one thing you can't teach: you can't teach speed. And this guy, if he gets in the open field, he's gone. I mean, he's got incredible speed. By the way, Stevie, before we let DG answer that, you uh, you you are a Steelers fan. Do you know who David Glenn pulls for? He's an Eagles fan. Hey, the good news there is we're in opposite conferences. Exactly. Trust- I, I thought you were going to tell me he was a Ravens fan, and then I was no. going to I was getting ready to disconnect. I can identify with this. My my brother married a girl from Pittsburgh. Right. Well, all of all of his in laws are lifelong Pittsburgh people, and I can tell you that whereas if you were a hockey fan, for example, the Philadelphia Flyers and the Pittsburgh Penguins hate each other, like capital H italics bold underline hate each other. The Eagles and the Steelers, I've seen fans root for each other. Yeah. Because you, you hardly ever play each other. Exactly. Right? You're in opposite conferences. And and the culture of the Steelers is easy to respect and admire. I say that as a guy who grew up in Philadelphia. 
Um, they have mostly likable teams, lots of championship teams, mostly likable players and coaches. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't like Philadelphia, so maybe it's harder It's harder to picture <laughs> Pittsburgh people supporting Philly. But, um, you know, even even in baseball, the Pirates and the Phillies are in, you know, were, were for a long time in the same division. So there was a little bit more animosity there. Right. But yeah, right. I got, I have I have no Eagles Steelers hate for you, Stevie. No problem. I don't have any Eagles hate. I pulled for the Eagles in the Super Bowl. So I mean, appreciate you know, it. Ravens and Patriots. That's a different story. Stevie, right. you grew up practically in Virginia. How in the world did you not become a Redskins fan? Well, look, my my whole family, except for me yeah. and and my cousin, who was like two weeks older than me, were were Redskins fans. And I don't know what happened at five years old. I I was I. I guess it was Terry Bradshaw, Joe Green, Franco. You know, but Jack Ham was my favorite Steeler of all time. I had a, I had one of them old Sears jerseys that you had to iron on. You had, I had fifty nine. I still got, <laughs> I actually still have the helmets from back over here. But uh, nice. yeah, Jack Ham was always my favorite. But yeah, I was like the black sheep of the family as far as that goes because everybody else was rich. <laughs> You didn't get to sit at the table, right? The things yeah, which, like you know, I, I did pull. If they weren't playing the Steelers, I pulled for the Redskins. So, I guess I had to. And I, for the first time ever, I own – I have season tickets for for the Redskins, for the Commanders now, because I'm so thankful. Whatever that day will be, it'll be like Christmas Day to me when Dan Snyder does not own the team anymore. Whenever when that day will be <laughs> – I think it's coming up in June – um, that's going to be a huge day for me, and um, I can't wait. But uh, that curse will be over with. It's worse than the Bambino curse. <laughs> the Bambino. We have like two wins, two wins as far as the playoff wins in 24 years or something like that. So you want to talk about misery? I'm one of those fans. When you want to talk about die hard, I you look up a, the, the dictionary. You'll see a picture of me because it's been, as Matt Simenza would say on our show, brutal. Yeah. So guys, I know, I know we're covering draft, but David, are you guys going to move? Are they going to move to another stadium after this? Yeah, they're going to uh, Northern Virginia. It's like a stadium. Uh, I think it's fifty-five thousand. They're going down, which I know DG is going to tell me that the uh, that's where the stadiums, as far as size of stadiums, are going to go because more people are staying home. It's a TV sport. Um, the prices of the parking for for the Commanders is fifty dollars. 50 bucks just wow. to park all the gas. It's about like PNC. Yeah. yeah. So PNC during the playoffs is pretty darn high for hockey. Yeah. That's concerts too. Yeah. Don't get me started on concerts and, and uh, prices of tickets now. We talked about that. Um, came on there. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt. With uh, one of my favorites is the boss, but the boss, uh, I had to stay home. Uh, no Greensburg Coliseum for me. But, DG, as far as other players you're looking at, uh, I know that we're probably about 20 minutes or so before the first Yeah, who's going number one? Who's the Panthers taking? I, as somebody who doesn't follow the NFL outside of the East Carolina players, uh, I don't even know who's projected to be number one, to be quite honest. Who, who, who's who's going Bryce to be uh, the, the, the pick for the Panthers? It's going to be the Alabama quarterback, Bryce Young, who, by the way, only measured at 5'10". I was getting ready to say there's another um, one with – some some size issues, they say. You know that we're going to see C.J. Stroud of Ohio State get drafted in the first round. We're going to see Anthony Richardson of Florida get drafted in the first round, and I mean, in both cases, all three of those cases, high in the first round. So, as usual, the teams that need quarterbacks are going to 
pick up quarterbacks if there's anybody they like. And I think of that group, I would I think the Panthers will be making the right decision in Bryce Young. He's a winner. Uh, he's tough physically and mentally. I know he doesn't have the prototype size that the Panthers' new coach, Frank Reich, who is a, a quarterback's – well, a former quarterback himself, but also a kind of a quarterback's guru. It's been a while, guys, that the Carolina Panthers haven't been to the playoffs since 2017 and haven't been to the Super Bowl since 2015. So that's – you know, you're at five no-playoff seasons and counting. Uh, and, of course, you know, say goodbye to Ron Rivera – the Matt Rule experiment did not work. And the biggest missing link under Frank Reich is quarterback. So this is an enormous pick. And, and you know, you guys know the deal. When, when you get your first-round picks right in the NBA, like if you have a lottery pick, you just have to get it right. If you're an NFL team that needs a quarterback and you have a high first-round pick, you just have to get it right. And, you know, when the, when the Panthers had – that high pick and took Cam Newton in 2011 with the number one overall pick. I know he didn't do everything that everybody wanted him to do, but he was an MVP and he did take him to the Super Bowl and he did take him to four playoffs in five years. So that's a successful pick. And guys like Julius Peppers and Luke Keekley, those guys were first rounders. Christian McCaffrey, Thomas Davis, those guys were first rounders. I mean, you have a chance to build the foundation of something special. And in this particular case, it's at the most important position on the field. No question. I, I want to throw this around to the round table real quick, by the way, in the green room, we're going to have Larry Shannon coming on in a matter of minutes. So stay with us. I believe he was a third rounder. Bubba, isn't that right? You said earlier, I believe that's right. Yeah. Um, from what I uh, research uh, very quickly this afternoon, uh, I said third round, 82nd overall, but I'll, We'll ask Larry that uh, when we have him on uh, here in just a couple minutes. So we'll have him on. And uh, Larry, hopefully the pretzels are not stale in the green room and <laughs> your favorite beverage, a uh, pirate beverage for you uh, here for a few minutes. But uh, I want to ask you guys, for me personally, there's two schools of thought on who you pick on a first round needs or athletic ability. For me, I'm going to take the best player I can get. And if I have other needs later on, because I think people get, maybe it's just me, as an NFL guy, I feel like a lot of guys, as far as teams and franchises, they have that that need. We need a quarterback. We need whatever position. And they pick a guy that's definitely not the right fit, that's not qualified to be a first-rounder, and they're a bust. For me, I'm going to take the best possible player, but I'll throw that around the board to, to you guys. Oh, uh, definitely. I, I go best player. I, go, I, you know, I know people have their needs and stuff, but, I mean – if you got a guy there that's, let's say, like a Jalen Carter falls in your lap, how are you gonna t- how are you gonna not take Jalen Carter? I mean, right. Go what ahead, you, Kyle. Lean, you understand you got, me, Kyle? I got you, Steven. No, I, you got you got to lean on your scouts, right? Right. And if your scouts say some guys a ten out of ten or whatever your rating system is, of course you always have to look at your own roster. You're not picking in a void. You have to pay some attention to what your needs are, but it has to start with just how much you see in that person. When you get to the point where you say, I have to take this position, you're asking for trouble. It's got to start with, I believe this guy in the first round, you can only take somebody that you believe in your consensus of scouts and personnel people believe can be a star in this league. You know, later you can look for role players. 
in the first round, you need you, you don't pick you don't use a first round pick unless you think somebody can be great. Hey, hey, DG, you remember when uh, the Bears picked Mitch Trubisky? Was that first? <laughs> I did. I did seriously probably a hundred interviews going into that draft all over the country because I had covered Deshaun Watson pretty closely and I had covered Mitch Trubisky extremely closely. Thank goodness that, that I that every on all a hundred shows I said I would take Deshaun Watson before I would take Mitch Trubisky. Um, I mean, I know Deshaun has had problems of a different sort, but he's clearly the better NFL caliber quarterback. No question about it. We're going to look forward to, I know the uh, Redskins commanders have a pick at 16, I believe. And you guys, uh, Stevie, is yours 17? Yeah, 17. I got a question. I got a question for y'all. Okay, Tennessee takes Malik Willis last year in the third round, and they're they're building him up apparently. So evidently he wasn't ready at the end of the season what they thought. So they get Josh Dobbs off somebody else's practice squad to play in the game that pretty much decides that they're in the playoffs or not. Now there's talk that Tennessee's talking to Arizona to move up to the third round, and they want C.J. Stroud. So, I mean, what has happened? I mean, Malik Willis, I mean, everybody was making him out last year. First-round pick, falls to the third round. Tennessee still says, well, we're going to build him up behind Tannehill. What do you think the problem is with, with Malik Willis now? I don't know. That's one of those things where once you've had a guy in your system, in your locker room, in your offseason program for a year, you get to know a lot about right. him more than whatever you knew the day you drafted him. So either they have less confidence that he can be the guy for football-related reasons or they have less confidence that he can be the guy for non-football-related reasons. But you've essentially – You've been able to look at him from every angle for the last year. And it, if he wasn't picking up your playbook well enough, if he wasn't right. a leader in the locker room, there could be a hundred different reasons. But you better be honest with yourself about your own personnel. You know, the, the worst thing you can do is, is say, I, you know, I think this guy can be what we need him to be. You, you got you to gotta know. The more, you, the more he's in your program, the, the more accurate you should be about whether he can be what you originally thought he can be or not. And if the answer is not, you got to be able to just pull that Band-Aid off and and find your next quarterback somewhere else. And, and Mr. Glenn, you remember 20 years ago when a a guy would get drafted, quarterback especially the first round, they had three years, three years to to get into the system. Now, like you said, it's a much faster process. You know, you're ready to get rid of just like, with well, if this goes through with Tennessee, it's the way coaches are too. Yeah, you know, exactly. Coaches, exactly. Coaches used to have a little more time. Best coach in Virginia Tech football history, Frank Beamer, had a losing record in his seventh season. Seven year seven, he won two games, but they kept him. And of course, he goes on to become one of the winningest coaches in college football history. If you win two games. In year seven, in modern college football, I don't care what school you're coaching. There is no way you're coming back for year eight unless something re- – there, there, there must have been a pandemic or something that caused those two years. Two yeah, well, Otherwise, you're not invited back. Willie Fritz won two games in year six and won the uh, Sugar Bowl in year seven. But he had yeah. winning – but my, the point is – Yeah, had he had winning. winning seasons before then. Yes, of course he did. 
And then they also dealt with uh, with a hurricane. Nonetheless, it's still gonna get a lot of people fired. Yeah, it will. Yeah, that might be the la- the the final straw. So, Stevie, I know you've got your show coming up. Uh, yep. So, tell us uh, your final thoughts, and we'll let you get out of here because I know in a matter of minutes you got your own watch party for the draft, yep. and uh, you're, you're all ready with your Steelers uniform and jersey. And yeah, I'm ready, ready, ready for everybody. You know, but you know. I just hope uh, – I just I hope we get three Pirates, at least three Pirates. You know, CJ would be the one that would be the third, I think. But uh, anybody that gets Keaton in the third round is going to get a steal, I believe. I think he's going to be something you need to watch out for in the NFL. And Holden, you know, I'm hearing Patriots are looking at, at Holden. So, maybe as much as I dislike the Patriots, you know, I may could for, for a game or two – pull for the Patriots if Holton's in there. But you yeah. The I, that I've heard? What? And the, the, y'all are going to think I'm making this up. I swear to you, I've heard the number one team I'm hearing that uh, that I've read and all the stuff is the Packers. No, well, he, met that, with the Packers. he did meet with the Packers. I know that. But, yes. you know, there's, they, they do hope, need hope they lose quarterback this year. Yeah, that's going to be the that frozen tundra, man. Oh, my God. Like, I, I'm a Die-hard fan, love to sit out in the cold, but I don't know if I could do that. It's hard enough to sit on the sidelines in in uh, late October for me. I, the older I get, no, I can't do it anymore. Hey man, I could do no trundle. <laughs> true story. As a high school senior, I visited Syracuse University with my father. It was one of my five top schools. It snowed on my visit there in the month of April. And I turned to my dad and I said, man, I know nope. this is the number one sports broadcasting school of the country. I know it's not too crazy far from, from Pennsylvania, obviously, where I grew up. But, Dad, I ain't going anywhere that snows in, in April. I, I've shoveled <laughs> enough driveways here in Philadelphia. So, I sure, sure enough, I ended up in college in Miami amidst the palm trees and bikinis instead. Uh, <laughs> before I ended up here in North Carolina. So, uh I could I that I hope I hope you, Mitchell ends up somewhere else. It's a great program, obviously, great franchise rather. But uh, yeesh, that's a lot of cold. Yeah. Hey, Stevie, uh, tell everybody about your podcast. Obviously, you have the final score and on the fly. Yeah, yeah, we got the final score. We've been doing that for about four years, and that's just like it sounds. Sports podcast had a lot of ECU Pirates. Had some Steelers on there too as well. Looking, always surprise, looking surprise. to get. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm always looking, and you know, I've got it, it's so surreal for me because uh, I had Dion Johnson on, and at, since then, me and Dion have become really good friends. I get calls from Dion. Dion will pop in my live. He'll probably pop in tonight, hopefully. But uh, great, great guy Dion was. But then I've got on the fly, which David pops in on my live stuff a lot. Uh, that's uh, music entertainment. I've been having a lot of country music artists up-and-coming country music artists uh, here lately. So, really, that's been about three years there. So, trying to get that out to another level, too. Before you go, I'm going to pitch this to Kyle. Your, Kyle, give me your top five Trisha Yearwood songs. I'm going to put you on the spot. Top? Yeah. The, Dave told me something concerning, Steve. 
He told me you had a a a a a, a, a segment on your show, the top five Trisha Yearwood songs. Top uh, ten, actually. Top ten. You know what? I couldn't name Trisha Yearwood. Ten Trisha ten Trisha Yearwood songs. If you put a gun to my mother, oh head. freaking! Uh, you got to be kidding yeah, me, dude. Trisha, Trisha Yearwood, Yearwood is awesome, dude. Did, did you? Oh my god! Come I, on, look. dude. She's in love with the boy. Um, is she is she still in love with the boy? I'm not sure. Um, and she's in love with Garth. Uh, she's in love with the boy. Um, um, the the I, I preferred her version of How Do I Live over Leah yeah. Rhymes. Yeah. What about Walk Away Joe with Don? That's Hill? not a bad song. Walk Away Joe's favorite. Song. That's my favorite. That was that was you know I had a. Uh, I thought we named the top ten Chris Ledoux songs of all time instead. Anyway, uh, are you going to compare Trisha Yearwood to Chris Ledoux? Come on, man. But yeah, that actually Walk Away Joe was me and that the lady that was, you know, her name was Noelle Tolan. She's an up and coming country music artist. She had Walk Away Joe as well. So, yeah. Right. Well, Stevie, we'll let you roll. And uh, by the way, your homework hey. your homework is to listen to Chris Ledoux. And I, I, Stevie, Stevie, are you not familiar class. with Chris Ledoux? What? Are you not familiar with Oh, yeah, with I know who Chris Ledoux okay. is. I okay, I was getting worried. Let's get worried. Wow. You, okay. you underestimate me. Well, I, you told me your daughter was into Cody James. You didn't say you were, so I don't know. No, that's true. I, you know, I'm coming around. You, you you don't remember that I said I have more useless information in this head than anybody <laughs> around. <laughs> we enjoyed it, Stevie. Thanks, bro. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having so, me on, Mr. Glenn. Mr. Glenn, it was an honor. I appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you, Stevie. Appreciate your kind words. Great to meet you. All right. You guys have a great one. All right. All right have fun with the watch party. Oh, I am. All right, bye bye. All right, so DG, we got so we're gonna bring in Larry Shannon. Larry, of course, with the Pirates, and I still see that flag that you pulled out of uh, your pants there, Larry. There in uh, in Charlotte, one of my that, favorite memories. Gold towel, gold towel, gold towel. Yeah, there. I I remember that as long as I live there, Bank of America Stadium, a great memory against the Wolfpack. And uh, Larry, glad, great to have you on. I know you were drafted. So we wouldn't have you. He in. pulled it out of his pants and he just waved it all around. <laughs> I know, Coach. By the way, I know Coach Logan was very happy about that. So, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, he let me have it for about six months straight. Every time I saw him uh, around the uh, around the locker room or weight room, he would shake his head at me and was like, "What were you thinking?" But <laughs> I wasn't thinking at the time. I knew I knew that I was going to get in the end zone, and um, that was my plan. <laughs> Larry, it was the right decision because all these years later, I remember it. Dave remembers it. Bubba remembers it. A lot of Pirates remember it. That <laughs> happened in 1996, so it was the right decision. Right. Well, you mean if you, you know you don't, no, you don't you don't you don't you don't just beat state, but when you beat him, you rub it in also, right? So. Exactly. Yeah, I wish we could say that about Tuesday night, but anyway, and, baseball. Uh, and buddy. Coach Logan would always tell that joke. You know, you know, Larry, he has to run around in the shower to get wet. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, Larry, wanted to have you on. Bubba uh, did the research. Is it third round that you were drafted? That's correct. Uh, I think Bubba said it a while ago. Eighty-second uh, pick overall to the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, correct? Yeah, I remember the okay. Dolphins uh, very well because that was a team that so many that, that franchise is another one. I've, I've said all along that the Dolphins is one of those franchises that are it's a real enigma to me. Why they should they should have a lot of titles? I really believe they. With the weather, um, there. I mean, you could go on and on and on. And you're, I know, DG, you play. Uh, you were there at, uh, at Miami. I just don't understand why the Dolphins don't have the, you know, the the Super Bowls. I just don't understand that. But 
Larry, were you were you in a Jareth McPhail and the Dolphins at the same time? Who's that? A Jareth McPhail. Uh, yes, actually, yeah. Um, my my rookie year, he was still on the team, and uh, so we went through uh, you know the all season together and training camp, and then he uh, ended up um, he ended up being a part of that expansion draft, and um, the Cleveland Indians. I'm not excuse me, Cleveland Browns. <laughs> <laughs> I think baseball season. Cleveland Browns actually picked him up. Uh, oh yeah, with the New Browns, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the New Browns picked him up. So yeah, he he was there, and uh, you know he definitely was beneficial to have another another pirate in the locker room when I got there. Kind of show me the ropes. Of course, Jairus was coming out. Um, you know, his final season with the Pirates was 1995, and Scott Harley took over in '96 uh, at the running back position, and then. And then yourself, uh, you'd had an excellent career up through 96. Then 97, you experienced that injury, uh, you know, which hampered you a bit. But you know, still, obviously, um, they thought very highly of you. And Jimmy Johnson, I believe, was the coach. So walk us through that process of, you know, overcoming the injury and then uh, everything leading up to the draft. Yeah. Um, you know, in 96, I had a phenomenal year. Um, you know, and I guess I guess. You know, I led the nation in yards per catch. Um, and so uh, going into my senior year, you know, was looking forward to, you know, just, you know, expanding on that and, um, you know, and having another having a great senior year. And um, Danny Gonzalez was the quarterback and we were roommates and for a while and we were very close. We spent the whole offseason just working together. And then the, two weeks before the first game, I get tackled in practice and break my leg. Oh, and, uh, and um, I missed half the season. Um, that was tough, you know, and, you know, but then when I came back, I was a shell of myself, I guess you can call it. Um, just trying to get back on the field, you know, and, and, and prove that I was healthy because my, you know, my, my senior year was running out and I knew I had, you know, the, my stock was definitely dropping. Um, so I managed to get through the get through the year, you know, limping around, and then um, then you know then started the uh, the draft process. I hired an agent. I went and played in the Senior Bowl. I went to the Combine. I had my pro days at ECU. Um, back then, things were a lot different. You know, the, the um, I went to the Senior Bowl, still kind of banged up. You know, I think I did okay there, but. Um, I went to the combine. I didn't work out. The combine was a lot earlier in the year. It was early February and a lot of guys didn't work out. My agent would not let me work out. He was like, you're not running. You're not doing anything. You're going to interview. You're going to get on a plane and go home. And um, of course, they, t- they they put me through the medical ringer, uh, you know, being being hurt. And, you know, they, they do all their all their checks and balances on your injuries. And then um, they try to put that pressure on you to work out. And I just, you know, you had, you had to stick to your guns and say no. And uh, they kind of get mad at you and then you just, you know, you, they, but they give you a ticket home and you go and you fly out. And, and so I put all my eggs in the pro day basket. You know, I was um, ended up um, just getting ready, man, just being ready, being healthy and getting fast again and being you know, and, and showing what I could do. Um, so I had two pro days. The first one, we, you know, back then, you know, we used to schedule our pro days kind of like the, the day after like a, a UNC or a day after a NC State. So all those scouts could be in the area and they would just kind of, 
you know, you would be smart about it. You wouldn't want to do this one on the same day as another school in North Carolina. So I had a phenomenal first pro day, um, you know, didn't, you know, had about half the league there, a little less than half the league. And then um, I did really well. And my agent's like, we got to have one more uh, just because you didn't, you know, because you didn't run or anything at the combine. So we had one more and whoever wasn't there, I guess kind of word got out. Whoever wasn't there, the first one showed up at the second one. And uh, so it ended up being all 32 teams that were at the, came by and watched me work out. And um, I did phenomenal. Uh, you know, I ran fast. I caught, you know, great workout. Um, and then it was just a wait and see game. You know, uh, you know, back then the draft was different. You know, it was uh, all I mean, it was a uh, Saturday and it was a marathon. Yeah. You know, rounds one, two, th- one through three were Saturday. And then they did rounds four through seven on Sunday. Yeah. So that was a whole nother story in itself. I can get to if you guys want. I actually miss that from a viewing standpoint. I liked it better that way. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of, you know, it, it puts it all kind of like on the, on the days that, you know, nobody's working typically, you yeah. know, they can sit around and watch it. Um, but, um, you know, you guys got any questions on, on that process before I go into the draft? Yeah, just I want to know about that very thing is like uh, I can't imagine like just sitting around waiting and waiting. Oh, like yeah. Tom Petty has a song, the waiting is the hardest part that comes mm-hmm. to mind. Uh, uh, the waiting would just kill me. Yes. Well, you know, uh, my agent said, you know, anywhere between. Um, no, he was like two and four rounds, two to four. And so I'm like, man, all I want to do is get drafted Saturday, you know, Saturday night. I don't want to go to have to go to sleep Saturday night and wake up Sunday and do this thing again. So, you know, back then that, you know, the first round just took like, you know, you know how like tonight it's going to take four or five hours. And back then it was even longer. Um, I had a bunch of I, I stayed in Greenville. You know, my, my parents wanted me to come home, um, but I just kind of wanted a private setting. Um had some college, you know, college, some teammates and some old roommates. We just kind of got together and, and I didn't even have a cell phone back then. You know, I just had the, the, the old, you know, the old phone in the apartment and just making sure that it was on, you know, working all day. Um, so, uh, you know, my agent kind of kept me um, positive throughout the process. And then as it got late, you know, as we hit the third round, that's when it became very stressful. Um and finally, the phone rang. Well, the phone was ringing, and I would get so mad, I you know, pissed off, I guess you could call it, because, um, <laughs> you know, people, you know, would call and, hey, how you doing? What's going on? You know, when are you going to get yeah, back to yeah. and I just, I just had to be like, man. And there's gotta... nothing worse, even to this day, when you're waiting for somebody to call you, and then somebody else calls you. Yeah, know, right? Like, that's like the worst ever. So, um, Got real frustrating, but we kind of kept the mood light all day with my buddies in town and, and you know, and some of the teammates dropping by. And and then, you know, then it got close. You know, it was it was like I kind of like just like put my mind at ease. I said, you know, it's going to happen when it happens. And then then the phone rings and it's the Miami Dolphins. And, um, and I'm looking at TV, you know, they're not picking. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, they're just calling me to give me this courtesy call. Like, hey, if you're there tomorrow, we're going to grab you. Because my agent said people will start calling you. Say, hey, just be patient. We're going to get you maybe tomorrow early. And then uh, whoever, it was like a scout that was on the line at the time. And he was like, well, you know, interviewing me and asking me how I was doing. And um, and then he was like, well, 
you know, I told him, you know, I told him I wasn't doing good because I was stressed and out. He's like, well, how can we help you? I said, you can pick me. And he said, we are with the next pick. And uh, he said, whatever you do, don't hang this phone up. And if we get, um, if we get uh, disconnected, I'll call you right back. And he put me on hold for, it seemed like forever. Oh, man. And the room's going crazy, and I'm kind of tr- telling everybody what's going on, you know. And um, and then I guess they turned the card in or whatever, and then then it shows up on ESPN or whatnot, you know. And then I had to just wait forever on the phone, even as I, even as my name got called, I still had to just wait on the phone. And the next person to get on the phone was uh, Jimmy Johnson, you know, the head football coach, and um, I had a good conversation with him. Um. And then I ended up being on the phone for like another 30 to 45 minutes with just different people, uh, you know, offense coordinator, receiver coach. And then then I had um, like a a conference call with the local media in Miami that were interviewing the draft picks right there over the phone. So everybody's downstairs celebrating uh, in my apartment. And um, and then I I'm upstairs on the phone for another 30, 45 minutes. So. Uh, you know, it worked out great, you know, being especially with the Dolphins drafting me, you know, being from Florida, you know, growing up a Dolphins fan. That was that was pretty neat. And, um, you know, and it was just a great, great day. Larry, where would you rank that all time? I mean, you you, you got a couple kids. You, you <laughs> had successful days as, as an ECU pirate. You, you've had successful days as a hit football coach at the high school level in Miami yeah. or in Florida, rather. Um where would you rank that all time in terms of life experiences getting drafted? It's right up there, you know, but beside the birth of my kids, I would say that it's, it's right there in second place because, you know, it's a, it was a dream come true. You know, like you, you know, as a kid, you know, you wore the, you wore the, you know, the Jersey or the jacket, the shirt, and you played backyard football and you said, Hey, you know, one day I'm going to be in the NFL and, and you catch, you know, and you, you know, and I, I caught passes from Dan Marino who, I watched growing up, you know what I'm saying, and was my favorite player. So um, it's it's right there in second place after the birth of my kids. That's a great question, though. I, I I think just you know like really my dream came true, and and that's that's pretty special. Yeah, yeah talk about Dan Marino. Uh, you talking about being in the same huddle and catching passes from uh, him. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm um, pretty well documented. Uh, not only what he did on the field, but just also you know his his personality off the field, you know, be it as an announcer, uh, being, being in movies and so forth. You know, what was he like? He was unbelievable. He was a, probably one of the best teammates I ever had a guy, his stature is, you know, and, and where he was in his career, you know, a hall of famer about ready to wrap it up, you know, and he, I don't know how many guys he's seen come through the locker room. Um, and he, um, he, he cared about you. And he worried about you and, and he makes sure you was okay. Especially um well, I think the biggest the biggest compliment I ever got was he told our trainer, was like he was like after after we spent like a summer there going getting ready for the training camp, he was like he told our head trainer who told uh Mike Hanley, I think it was, told somebody back at ECU that and that kid can play. You know, and he and then he didn't tell me that he told he told our he told our head trainer at, at Miami Dolphins at the Dolphins who told somebody at ECU said Dan really likes this guy, and uh, that that was pretty neat. Um, but you know, I I tore my ACL my rookie year uh, early in training camp and was done for the year, and then 
you know, I couldn't do anything. It's, you know, obviously just rehab. And he always made sure that I was okay. Like they were, they were going out of town for a game. Hey, Larry, I know you can't go, you know, you, you want tickets to the hockey game. You, you know, what, you know, you got anything going on? He, he'd have you over to the house, meet his family. Um, would go out and be, you know, be one of the boys and, and, um, you know, go out and have some cold drinks with you as well. So, I mean, just phenomenal, phenomenal teammate. That's cool, especially when you have a guy that you grew up watching and then you play with, and a lot of times they say you don't want to meet your heroes. <laughs> um, but it's good that it turned out for you. Yeah. I think one of the neatest things, too, was, like, you knew how, like, you know, everybody talked about, like, his arm, his arm strength and and how good of a, you know, you know passer he was. And he would, and how, but the, the thing, the thing I got from him was how competitive he was and he hated not to be successful and he couldn't stand it. And he held, you know, um, he hated if you didn't know what to do in the huddle or on a play because it, it, you know, it affected the play and he did want, he did not want to be successful. Uh, he did not want to fail. And then the defense would start talking trash, you know, during practice and he would get so fired up and so competitive and that he was barely hanging on with his with his body like his his lower body was 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 pretty spent you know all the injuries and stuff surgeries he had but his arm was still electric and he would he would, he would take it to another level sometimes in practice that was just unbelievable no hey, doubt larry uh, when you think of the the ver- the version of you who showed up at ecu as a young man and the version of you that had that special story on draft day, how did your time at ECU just turn you into that better version of yourself? Um, man, I just, in every aspect, um, I think first physically, um, and, you know, I was, you know, a kind of a project recruit, like six foot four, you know, can jump really high. We're going to, we're going to have, we're going to create a role for him. And then when I got this ECU, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I got so much, I got so much room to improve. Um, so physically was, was, was everything. And what Jeff Connors was able to turn me into, you know, and, and obviously you had to, as a player had to want, had to want that. And, and be motivated to, you know, to, to improve like that. And I mean, it, it was just phenomenal. Like if I go back, you know, like how much weight I gained and how strong I got and how fast I got, and it kind of all came together at the right time for me. And, um, and then of course, you know, being in a, in a, in a situation where, where, you know, at ECU back then, you know, you wasn't in a conference and, 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 and all, all we, all we, all we learned how to be was tough, tough as we could be. Right. And, no one's going to give you anything. You got to earn everything. And so that mentality is, is stuck with me forever. Um, you know, and then we won also, like we were, we were successful. Like we went to two bowl games and, and um, you know, we played on national TV and, and, um, and we got exposure. And, and so, you know, that's a great question because, you know, it, it, it turned me into the person I am and, and it developed every part of my being uh, through that process. That 96 team is one of my favorite teams, a team that goes eight and three and DG a win over Miami in the orange bowl, 31 to six that uh, Larry Shannon was on um, that team. So a very special team. In fact, I want to mention one thing. They didn't uh, go to a bowl. 
<laughs> and did not go to a bowl, which was nuts. But anyway, uh, that still breaks my heart for you guys. But uh, as far as Coach Connors is concerned, Coach C, talk about him because his strength and conditioning, he got, he was uh, ruthless. And yeah. he was a legend, too. He, yeah. Everybody across the state knew about him. Yeah, he um, – it was very eye-opening when you walked on campus and, um, you know, and his role and, and – and what he did for the program and, 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 and how he, you know, we, you know, when you first meet him as a young athlete, you're at, in, back in, you know, in 1993, I thought he was absolutely crazy. You know, and I was like, what is going on? The intensity was so high and everything was so, um, you know, it was, it was a difficult experience, you know, as a high school guy coming from high school and getting thrown in the fire of a division one strength coach you know, getting after you. And, um, but, you know, it ended up being like, um, be, you know, you ended up appreciating it and you also ended up being like, like, you know, you just, you know, he became like my older brother type thing, you know, where it was like, um, you know, you, you just, you wanted everything he could give you because you knew it was the best for you and it was hard as heck. And then, but then also on the mental side, like, you know, what he, what he taught us, you know, about, about life and about persevering and about, you know, you know, just working hard and, and what it's going to take to win. Um, you know, he started giving like pregame speeches, you know, during that time at ECU, he, he became like the guy on the night before the game or the, or the day of the game right. was going to give an unbelievable pregame speech. And he would bring in, you know, boxers or retired colonels in the army or marines you know and just and give you some type of edge you know that you could use for that week and it was just life-changing you know logan was such a kind of had a professor like approach to football he was not a rah-rah guy at all um it, it seems like maybe him and jeff connor's being polar opposites was the perfect combination in east carolina at the time because Logan didn't like to give pregame speeches. So letting Connors do it, you know, probably isn't something you see a lot of strength coaches do at a lot of places. Uh, so kind of, they kind of were polar opposites, but that worked well at the time. Uh, Larry, speak to that. Yeah. I think, I think they kind of stumbled on that at some point where Coach Connors gave a, you know, gave a speech and um, it was so good. And I, you know, I, I want to say the players maybe went to Coach Logan and said, can he talk every week, you know, and um, and then it was like, what is he going to do this week? You know, it was always, what what is he going to say? Who is he going to bring in? What, you know, what is he going to break? You know, what is he going to, what, you know, <laughs> he's going to get so fired up and, and, um, and then we just look forward to it every week. And it was the biggest, the biggest part of getting a, a big game experience was, was what he was going to say and do for us to, to get us ready, you know, and give us that edge. And uh, I think Logan knew, you know, Coach Logan knew that he had something special with that. And then, you know, I, I would take, I, you know, I, I remember going back to, um, you know, Jimmy Johnson gave some unbelievable speeches and he was an unbelievable motivator in team meetings and then like before games. Um, John Gruden was kind of the same way. Um, I remember, I remember being, uh, I went, I came back to ECU and I was a graduate assistant coach under John Thompson. 
you know, and I, I couldn't wait for the, the first game to see how is this going to take place? You know, who's going to give this, give this talk, you know, what are we going to do here? Get, you know, who's, and we, we went through our process and, and I was, I was looking around and I was like, asking myself, I said, is that it? You know, I was, I was expecting so much more. I'm like, man, these kids are missing out. Like they, you know, we don't, you know, you know, I can't go up and say nothing to him. You know, I'm, I'm just a graduate assistant coach and it's his, this is his team, his program, but I'm like, we got to figure out a way to motivate these guys a little better. And um, so, you were yeah. right all along, Larry. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I thought you were right all along. <laughs> uh, no doubt. Oh, man. No, it's tough. Uh, Larry, as far as we've got a couple guys, and oh, oh, go ahead, Bubba. Johnny Gardner chimed in uh, saying, Larry, can you tell us how you got to ECU? If I remember correctly, at one point you were headed to West Virginia Westland. Yeah, that's an unbelievable story. I don't think, you know, this was, I don't think this ever happens anymore. I mean, it's different now, obviously, with recruiting and whatnot. But I, small town in Florida, um, you know, uh, just love football. Great. I, you know, I think, I think I was a great athlete. You know, I was a 6'8 high jumper and I, and I played, I was an all state outside linebacker and I was basketball player. And I, but I'm, I'm just six four, one hundred and you know seventy pound kid or whatever, one hundred eighty pound kid, you know, in some small town, and um, you know, under recruited, I guess you could all call it. You know, I had a lot of schools kind of tease me and say, "Hey, we're going to bring you on a visit. We're going to do this and do that," and they, you know, and then it would just go dead silent. And I was looking at an opportunity to go play basketball. Um, I had a lot of small college basketball offers and I was you know there was all these schools and, and there was a couple of schools in West Virginia that were fighting over me you know and and then they wanted me to play football as well and and I'm sitting here like I don't have anything else you know like I don't have you know any other any other this is the best options I have you know division two you know go play both sports type deal and um I was locked into it and then um Todd Berry, who was the offensive coordinator at ECU, ended up being, you know, head coach at Army. And, uh, um, you know, he's, he's been involved in the – Monroe. Uh, yep, Louisiana Monroe. And he's, he's just the retiring. Association. Yeah, he's just he's great. I, I just spoke to him. I seen him at the convention in Charlotte back in January, and he's retiring, which is, you know, good for him. Uh, but he walked into my high school, and my coach introduced me to him. And my senior year is over, like signing days already passed. And um, and I'm, I'm, I'm finishing out my senior year. It's like late springtime. Um, and he says, yeah, coach was telling me about you. We have a scholarship available. We're going to bring you up on a visit. And I kind of laughed at him. I'm like, uh, that's not happening. I've, I've heard this 10 times before, you know, I, like Coach Barry's just pulling my leg. You know, he wants to tell me something nice. And, and then like two days later, they call my house. And they said, you know, coach, this is coach Barry, you know, we got, we got, a, we got a flight set up for you and never been on an airplane before. And, uh, flew to, flew to Greenville, North Carolina. And, um, I got there and, uh, spent some time around the team with the coaches, you know, they kind of wine and dine me and, um, and went into coach Logan's office and, and he was like, well, I may have a scholarship and I got, it's between you and another guy. And, uh, he's like, if, uh, we don't offer you a scholarship. Will you come here and walk on? And I said, no. <laughs> I 
He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go to West Virginia and play basketball and football. And he's like, you're going to go to that small school in West Virginia and not take a walk-on spot here and, and earn a scholarship maybe next year? And I said, no, coach. I said, I'm going. I said, I'm ready. And uh, he said, okay, uh, well, well, we'll know more in a week or so, and uh, we'll get back with you. And uh, I enjoyed my time in, at ECU, and and um, that weekend I was there, and I flew back to Florida. And then, sure enough, man, like a week later, they called and said, uh, Larry, you have a scholarship's yours if you want it. <laughs> do you, Larry, do you think if you'd have said uh, you would walk on if you'd have got a scholarship offer, do you know what happened with the other guy? Um. They, I knew they were looking for a tall receiver. Um, they were looking for a, like a six four type kid, and then, um, and um, I, th- I think if I would have said I walked on, they may have, you know, they may have been asking the other guy the same thing. But um, they could, they could have maybe had us both and gave the other guy the scholarship. Um, there was one thing, Coach Logan, um, the scholarship he had available, it wasn't a guarantee right there. It was we we might have one. Something was going down with a player, and that one was going to come available. And um, I think it was one maybe somebody they signed, and he got got into some trouble or or with some grades or something, and that was coming available. And so, you know, I I stuck. I played hardball, and and it worked out for me. One of the greatest wide receivers in East Carolina history, and you almost ended up playing Division Two college basketball. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Hey, there are some, I mean, there are some unbelievable stories of guys, I mean, not recruited or walking on. I mean, Justin Hardy as, a, as an ECU guy that walked on. and Right. And, and then, there, I mean, there are some stories where guys, um, you know, that, I mean, I, we, I, I, we coached a guy here at Venice High. Um, he, he, he went on to University of Florida. He played quarterback for us. He went on to University of Florida, and they, they, he played tight end, running back quarterback he got he got undrafted and to the nfl right and you're going to try to make a team as a tight end undersized tight end so he ends up throwing a touchdown pass in the super bowl on a trick play on the philly special but if you guys remember that a few years ago that trey burton we i coached him in high school and then a year later later, he signs 22 million dollar guaranteed contract with the bears and he's undrafted, you know, just, just only played tight end for one year at Florida. And, um, I mean, stories like that. And, and it happens with high school kids as well. I mean, there's kids that don't – that walk on, go to JUCO, and they end up, you know, working hard and and, um, and, and having obviously some luck and some timing is everything. Um, you know, I think my biggest thing that uh, I – you know, you know, we, I know we, we were – I've been talking a lot, but my, my thing about getting drafted and all that, that that, that it kind of it doesn't, I don't have any regrets, but it bothers the heck out of me is that I just couldn't stay healthy. You know, you know, you you put your um, you you have a small window to make a name for yourself in the league, right? You don't want them to draft another receiver the next year because they just drafted you. They don't need anymore, right? And and I tear my ACL, my very first official practice. Well. Yeah, like the first day of training camp. I signed my contract at 10 o'clock that night. At 8 o'clock the next morning, I tore my ACL. And, oh. and uh, you just can't – and it's hard to overcome that when you're not an established guy, you know. 
you know, and I, and, and, and it did, you know, I, I came back and I played my second year and, you know, and, and fought back and, you know, and then I, you know, I had a shoulder surgery, you know, I ended up having two shoulder surgeries and I, I'm, re, I'm, I'm a retired NFL player. I, I, I'm going to have NFL pension when I turn 55, but I didn't play very much, you know, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, um, it, it, it bothers me some because, you know, it, it, sometimes you think what could have been, but I still go back to, man, my dream came true. And I met my wife in the, when I was, you know, with the Oakland Raiders. And um, how many, how many years did you have in the league? I had four. Four. Yeah. yeah we, I mean, when you think about it, you can look at it that way. What could have been if you hadn't got injured. But if you also look at it from my standpoint or Bubba's standpoint or DG standpoint or Dave Richmond standpoint or a million other college athletes, you got to play in the freaking league for four years. You got drafted. I mean, the yeah. percentage of the people in the world that can say that is a DG. You're, you're, you're the lawyer. What would that be? A percentage of a percentage of a percentage point. That's, that's a fraction of a tiny percentage, man. And, and not only is that a great story in itself, um, what you did at ECU is part of your story, right? Yeah. Being the guy that almost went to a small school in West Virginia, but ended up with your fun story about the late scholarship offer. That's part of your story. I mean, meeting Absolutely. your wife, man, that's a huge part of, of it, of your story. So you got a lot of chapters to this book. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm part author. I want to write this book at this point. <laughs> hey, guys, by the way, Bryce Young was the first pick. C.J. Stroud went to the Texans. Number Ooh, wow, they did take him number two. How about yeah. that? Okay. Yeah, that, that's just that's breaking news. So, while Larry, have- do, you know, do you know how many Division One players you've coached in Florida? Just, just curious. You, you, you're uh, coaching down there. Do you know how many Division One players you've coached? Uh, yeah, uh, our, our program has, has – um, I don't know. I mean, we got pictures of them down in the office. I mean, and it's it's probably got to be – you know, we've had guys full – you know, guys find signed full-ride scholarships to Division One. I. I mean, it's got to be the last – I want to say the last third, the last about the last fifteen years, I'd say. I mean, it's over fifty. Wow. Yeah. You already dropped one name. Any any other names you 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 can drop that Pirate Nation will be familiar with that you've coached? Um, well, we had another high drive pick, Forrest Lamp. He uh, the Chargers drafted him as a lineman a few years ago. He played. He's played four or five years. We had Dre Archer play. Um, he uh, he he. Third round pick by the Steelers, he's undersized, really fast running back receiver. Uh, they drafted him in the third round. So we've had three, you know, three guys play in the league. Oh, we have we've had more play in the league, but those guys, you know, played a lot. We had some guys, you know, get cut in training camp. Um, we just had a five star defensive end signed with Georgia. Uh, uh, his actually dad is played at ECU. Damon Wilson was oh, yeah, my roommate. Yeah. Was running a, back, yeah, running back, and uh, you know, I think his last year playing was '94, maybe. Um, and, you uh, mean between the both of you, y'all, y'all couldn't get him to Greenville? Come on, <laughs> we, we, we tried, and uh, and, and, Dame, and you know, and Damon lives here in you know in Venice. He moved here because because I was down here, and he's like, I got to get my kids. In a hey, spot. And Jarris McPhail's there. All three of you couldn't get him to. Greenville. I know. Hey, well, uh, Jerry McManus. Jerry was, McManus. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, My Jerry, mom was on Jerry, Jerry, Jerry from think, Yeah, you know, I, I think I think it's I think it's tough. You know, when um, you know, we, you know, ECU. You know, they spot recruit Florida, and then they. I don't think they quite use the connection of his dad because you could you could have got him on a visit if they would have 
if they would have kind of tried, you know what I'm saying? Try a little harder. You know, I think it was like, oh, well, he's getting all these offers and he's, you know, and, and whatnot. We can't compete. Well, I'll waste your time, yeah. Right. And, um, you know, especially with, the, you know, the NLI money and all that now. Um, so, you know, yeah, we could have we could have got him up there maybe and, and never know. But NIL money is, is, is a difference maker. Um, you know, uh, how, you know, obviously you, 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 you were in a situation where, you know, you, you were just glad to get a division one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would imagine, you know, um, you know, NIL money would have been in play back then uh, with some of this. That would have been interesting. That's an interesting question. Um, you, you, you know, it was you, involved. You, yeah, well, you, you were, you, you were a, you know, like you said, a developmental project, but then you became a star. Um, you know, you look after the 95, 96 season, you know, if the transfer portal would have been a thing and, you know, let's say maybe the ECU NIL money wasn't as good as that SEC NIL money, do you see yourself, do you think you would have left for, for a big NIL deal or do you think, is it hard to say, you know, without, you know, you knew yourself then, but is it yeah. hard to look back then and know if that situation was around what you would have done? Yeah, no, I, I thought about it a few times. Um, you know, I obviously, you know, it's tough to say I wouldn't have. Um, I enjoyed every minute of my time at ECU. Um, it would have been hard. I think it would have been hard because of the relationships I had with um, Doug Martin um, and Jeff Connors. I don't know if I would have been able to, like, leave them like that. You know, I, 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 that would have been tough. That would have been really – that would have been I – mean, something would have had to happen where I had no other decision where it just – you know, it would have been hard to leave those two guys. They, they were – huge part of my life and it would have been it would have been difficult because I you know there was people trying to get me to come out my junior year you know after I had that big junior season um and I I just said no right away you know I just said no I'm I want to go back and you know be a part of this again and I didn't know I was going to get hurt but um you know, they, there's people that, you know, they were, they were, you know, there's these guys that reach out to you through, through the agents and, and, you know, and say, Hey, you know, you're projected to be here. You you think about leaving early and, and I just turned them down and said, no, I don't, I'm not thinking about that at all. You know, and I already had my degree too. So that could have been an easy decision for me, but I was locked in coming back. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned Doug Martin, Larry, I, I believe Doug is, is he, is he living down here again? I believe he's maybe living he uh, I think on, he's the, out on the crystal coast with, with yeah, Logan. He's, yeah. Yeah. He's at the beach and Doug is the offensive coordinator for the, uh, in the, uh, USF USFL for the New Orleans team. Oh, I did not realize that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yep. I, I love, I, I love Doug Martin. I, um, I remember just from a little personal standpoint here when he was up at uh, Kent state, and um, Skip Holtz left to take the head coaching job in South Florida. And uh, the coaching church was all over the place. We hadn't got to the Ruffin McNeil point yet. And um, I emailed Terry Holland and uh, suggested, you know, I said, Doug, you know, I said, Doug Martin's record at Kent isn't good. I said, but it's a tough place to win. Doug's a good coach. I said, have you considered him? And Terry emailed me back and you know, was quite candid and said, you know, he, he thinks Doug is a good coach and loves his ties to Fire Nation. But, he thought the record, if he hired him, it might be, might not win the press conference, so to speak. And, yeah. uh, I no. reached out to Doug Martin and during yeah. that time um, and emailed him and asked him, you know, said, hey, you know, I emailed Terry, blah, blah, blah. You know, are you pursuing <laughs> this? And Doug Martin emailed me back immediately and said, Kyle, he said, I'm pursuing it as hard as I can, but I can't get an interview. And uh, yeah. so 
Yeah, no, there's um, they they you know they say if 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 uh, I think Kent has some injuries or something that year. Yeah, you know they they would have been you know I bet they were five and six or something. Yeah, like they'd have been seven or four or whatever. That, that may have happened. I know David Garrard was in the NFL at the time. Yep, and he was, you know, he's a they got somebody on the cell phone with him trying to give him you know give the give the uh, cell phone to the AD to, you know to, to you know to to try to get them to interview Doug and um and uh, whatnot. But yeah, we always wanted to get Doug back. Um, and, and he won a bowl game at New Mexico State. And I was going to say New Mexico. Any yeah. college football fan you know, that follows it very closely, I mean, you know, knows how bad that program's been. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's like that's the toughest place to win in the country, right there, no doubt. But yeah. uh, with you having spent years in, in the high school ranks there in Florida, obviously one of the Hot prospects in this draft is you're hearing his name a lot, Anthony Richardson, uh, leaving Florida early. You know, I know what what you're what two and a half three hours from Gainesville, yeah. but uh, you know what's your what's your familiarity uh, with Anthony besides obviously watching him for the Gators? Yeah, you know I remember him when he was in high school um, and the talk around Florida about how you know just how how, how you know how athletic he was and and um, and he was you know. You know, they, you know, I, I don't know. What's that show on uh, Netflix where they follow the quarterbacks? Um, oh, you guys, um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like QB1 or whatever. Yeah. QBU. Yeah. 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 QB. Well, they, he was supposed to, he's actually there. They, they, they were, because the big thing was that they were following him his senior year and they never released it on Netflix, I think, because of COVID or whatnot. But um, yeah, so he, I mean, he was just the talk of the state, you know, how athletic he was. And, and, and he was supposed to, uh, I think his senior year, he got hurt in high school and then um you, you know you, you kind of knew that he would show up again at some point in florida just because of his potential and where they had him in the, where, where you know where he was ranked and and his, his his measurables um and then you know you you, you talk to you know we talked to some florida alum that that you know the trey burtons and the clay burtons and, and um and they uh and everybody just raved raved about him like what you know what he did at florida and how he handled himself and and um, and obviously it was like, well, he will he come back for his senior year? I mean, next for his junior year or whatnot, and keep playing. And and um, but obviously the you know the, the the opportunity to get drafted in the first round, you can't pass that up. So um, yeah, I mean, he's just a, he's just a freak of nature, and it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. Bubba, that him mentioning the <clears throat> the the documentary that was never released on Netflix reminded me who was the quarterback we had that had a documentary made about him and followed him throughout his whole high school career. And he, he was highly touted and never played here or anywhere else, but uh, he signed here, but he never played a damn down. Uh, Cody Keith. Cody Keith. Yes. I had totally forgotten his name, but he transferred, yeah. uh, transferred to Charlotte and then he transferred to another small school or two. Yeah. Never played to my knowledge. And uh, he had a documentary made about him that was released or it escaped one or the other. Larry, I had a question for you regarding a couple wide receivers that are declared for the draft, Isaiah Winstead and uh, C.J. Johnson. What do you think it's – what does it take – I know you played at a different era, but what does it take for them to get drafted? What are, what are the scouts looking for? We know about breakaway speed, hands, those kind of things. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is um, the big playability – is 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 a, is a big thing that that they look for. Obviously, foot speed. 
Um, and then I think the size, you know, measurables, you know, they, you have to, you have to have the measurables. And I think both, both, both those guys do, uh, and they both made big plays. Um, and the one, the one thing that, you know, that, that comes into play is, you know, when those scouts are, are scouting those guys, you know, it's easy to, you know, to, to watch the, um, you know, the highlights and the big plays, you know, but they're watching, the, you know, the plays that when they don't get the ball and then, you know, and, and, and what kind of effort they're showing away from the ball, are they blocking? Um, so that's, you know, that's that evaluation process that, that, they, that, you know, you, is so unknown, you know, like how, how much stock are they putting into a guy that's, you know, and what he's doing when he doesn't get the ball, but it, you know, it's the measurables and it's the speed and it's just that, that knack for making the big plays. Um, I think that's that's what it comes down to. That's what they can, you know, they can they can risk spending a pick on if a guy can show that he has all three of those. Yeah, I mean, I, what, go ahead, Bob. What you say, what you saw out of Zay Winstead, and then C.J. Johnson. Obviously, Winstead was only with us one year after transferring in from Toledo. Um, had that relationship with former passing game coordinator Latrell Scott. Um, you know what a great find he was, and. Uh, but then C.J. Johnson showed that he could you know, do some things on the outside, but then last year uh, in the slot as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, C.J. Has, has that big playability. You know, he, he's, he's kind of a freak of nature as well, the way he's built. You know, he's, you know, he's kind of, you know, with, this, with, the, you know, with, the, with the way the DBs are in, in the NFL and the way they play, you know, with all the tight coverage and all the press and um, – so he, you know, he, 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 you know, he has that upside, you know, with, with the way he's built, you know, and the size he is. And Winstead was just so reliable. It seems like he was, you know, he was always, you know, a guy making the, you know, the third down, you know, third down catch and, and always coming through uh, when the quarterback needed him. So th- those guys, you know, will have a chance and hopefully it's early for them. Um, you know, the, the thing about the draft is, 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 you know, you, you can make a lot of money, you know, by getting picked at a certain spot, you know, and you can lose a lot of money if you don't. So every pick that goes by, there's there's money lost, you know, and I hate to think about it that way, but it's true, you know. And so hopefully those guys get drafted early and they're able to kind of get their career started on the right path and, you know, and being a draft pick. And, you know, you know, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Johnson, when I when I with my rookie year, he cut a third round draft pick. And that's like unheard of, you know, usually you're going to get a year or two to kind of get your feet wet. Right. And he didn't care, man. He, you know, he, he spent a lot of capital on you, but you know, you didn't make the team you're moving on. So, you know, I think, I think, you know, being a higher draft pick gives you a chance to, um, to, to for them to be patient with you and give you a chance to, to, you know, to, to you know, to, for them to develop you more and, Obviously, you know, they spend a lot of money and, and pick on you. They're going to give you a chance more than a, a guy who they didn't. Hey, guys, by the way, uh, breaking news, Colts pick Anthony Richardson. So, we'll let you know. yeah. so yeah, Larry, I want to ask you, um, I, I don't know how closely you watched the program this past season, but uh, we talked about Isaiah and we talked about CJ. Um, a guy that's coming back, Jalen Johnson, who transferred here from Georgia, I personally think, if he can stay healthy, I think he may have more NFL ability than, than CJ or Isaiah. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just amazed at like the weapons that we had um, and, you know, and the, the ability for these guys to make plays. And, um, 
And so that that that's um, you know that that's you know that's that's what you know I, I we, we may turn into a wide receiver you here. I mean, <laughs> these guys that are making these plays and and um you know and obviously recruiting the the, the transfer portal has been a great um you know great thing for for guys to fill some holes quick. You know, but you also can lose some guys. So yeah, I tell you what, the, the transfer portal kills high school recruiting though. I mean, I mean, you th- you got a guy that you think is going to sign somewhere and, and man, all these guys are spending their scholarships on the, on the, in the portal and high school kids are, it's tough for them right now. It's very tough. It's, um, Don't you, know, you I, think I, it gives East Carolinas and the Southern misses of the world, the opportunity to perhaps get a guy that would have gone to the SEC out of high school? Yeah, no, I mean, you could definitely, like, you know, find a guy that's not, you know, not happy where he's at and has unbelievable ability and, um, you know, and just wants to change the scenery and you can get a great player. Um, I just, you know, I, I don't know how these coaches manage their roster if these guys are uh, leaving so fast and, you know, and, and now you're, you're, you're whole, you got all these holes in your roster, but, it, but at the same time, you can, you can fill the holes and win win quickly uh, by by being active in the portal and and um you know and and you know and you, you guys are already de- already developed you know they've been somewhere a year or two you know and, and where you got a high school kid you still got to develop you know and and he may transfer on you I think I, there was a coach that told me he's like I can, I can get a guy out of portal he's still got three years of eligibility and he can't transfer again. You know, if he does, he's got to sit out. Yeah. He's got to be a grad transfer. So he's like that high school kid. Me, I got to develop him, and he could transfer on me. So um, it's tough for high school kids with the portal right now. So are you seeing more guys uh, at the high school level now that may have would have got FBS offers now going FCS? Yeah, I see. I see guys that not having as many opportunities. Um, yeah. That I mean, we like we had a quarterback. Our last we we had a quarterback, eight A player of the year in Florida. We won a state championship two years ago. And he had one offer from a Mac school. Um, he went to send, prep school. Send this type to Greenville, Larry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I tried to. He, he went to Green. He went to a prep school, uh, and you know, and had like that 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 thirteenth year of high school, or whatever. And then he signed with Purdue this past uh, spring. So, oh, okay, well, yeah, good. yeah. And then we had a kid this past year. I mean, I think he's Division One. I. I think he's. I think he's. You know, he's he's not Power Five, but he's definitely Division One. He signed with Wingate, um, and I he led us to the state championship. Also, you know, we lost in the state wow. championship game, but um, he, he, you know, he he had no, he had zero Division One offers, and I, and he was one of the better quarterbacks we ever had. So, Coach it, Houston, are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you say he's at Wingate now. Uh, we're looking for somebody in the transfer portal to be third string, potentially second string. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it's crazy, man. It, it's you know, it's you know, it's just it's, it, the, the landscape has changed, and and um, and it's and it's just you know, you just gotta. It's like these kids in high school now; they get these offers, and it, if it's legit, you know, there's a lot of fake offers that happens. I don't I really understand that. I still can't wrap my brain around that. But the guys that got legit offers, we tell them to commit. Like Those fake or, offers are just in case somebody falls through. Yeah, or a fake offer is is you're really young. And I don't want you to, when you're a senior, I don't want you to say, I didn't offer you, you know, so here's an offer, but it's not committable, you know? And so a kid will go tweet, <laughs> a kid will go tweet, Hey, I got offered by, you know, um, you know, Clemson or, 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 you know, whatever it may be. And then I'm looking around like, uh, 
why is Clemson offering this guy? You know, and, and then it's just in case that kid plans out to be a power five guy. Remember, I offered you when you were a sophomore and um, they can't commit half the time. But the ones that are committable, we, all, we tell the kids, we, you know, if we, the kids got a legit offer that they can commit to. We we try to get them to commit early just because it's so much can happen now with the portal and, and whatnot and NLI and all this stuff like. It's it's crazy. Now, speaking of Coach Houston, uh, Dave mentioned him just a second ago. Um, I know as an alum, you're obviously very excited to see the, the direction of the program under the Houston regime. Uh, 15 wins over the last two seasons, back-to-back bowl games, even though we're unable to play the game against Boston College. And, uh, you know, now we're you know, really trending you know, toward contending for conference championships once again. To talk about that, uh, you know, from a letter winner's perspective, and then also uh, with FAU coming into the American, obviously UCF moving on to the Big 12. But, um, you know, FAU uh, making yeah. a solid hire in Tom Herman. Yeah, you know, the uh, we got we got a couple kids at FAU. We got two receivers there that played for us um, two years ago. Um, no, I, I think Coach Houston has been wonderful. I think he's kind of came in and, and you know, looked, little patience was needed at first, but, you know, it's kind of built the the roster and the team the right way. Um, you know, it seemed like we're really a tough, tough football team. You know, I like the way we play. Uh, it's just a different, looks like a different brand of football than it was, you know, a few years ago. Um, and it's, you know, it's obviously those guys have worked hard at it because, um, you know, filling some holes and done a good job in the portal and it looks like they're recruiting really well. Uh, recruiting at elite, uh, you know, a, a, a pretty elite level now. Um, I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about like us being, you know, a household name again, and and consistently in the bowl games, you know, consistently getting guys drafted and consistently winning is uh, that solves all problems. And uh, you know, the conference has changed, right? You know, you lost some of the, you know, you know, a couple of the, a couple of the big dogs, and you got some new blood coming in. Um. You know, I think you're going to see uh, a little different football teams, you know, like the, the FAU, you're going to see that that Florida speed and and uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of great athletes, um, obviously, that, you know, can, you know, down here that, that they'll probably recruit. And um, you're going to get a chance to see some different stadiums and some different atmospheres. And uh, I think I think what's good about the, the schools that are coming in to the American is that I can't wait for them to go to to Greenville. And they can really see what the environment's like because they have no idea, uh, you know, coming from what were they, Conference USA? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's coming coming from Conference USA and, you know, and the stadium's, you know, not even a third of the way full and, you know, not having the rowdy crowd and, the, you know, and everything that goes on. I, I, it's funny when when a, when a guy that played for me here goes in college and, he, and a couple of them had went to ECU and played and they go, coach, they come back here and they coach. That atmosphere was unbelievable. Nothing, nothing like I ever been to. You know, we don't have that on the road. You know, some of those, um, some of the schools. You know, the non-power five schools yeah. that, and um, and that's just great to hear. Uh, I, I try to warn them, but they don't, they don't ever listen to me. But um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. We're what, what, what's going on in Greenville right now. Uh, I know Coach, uh, our new O line coach, Coach Mo. Yeah, know him really well. I've known him for years. Tell, um, talk about him, Larry. Uh, what, what kind of coach is he? What kind of fit do you think he'll be? I mean, uh, his, his players love him. He's a great recruiter. Um, 
he's very thorough and he and he always follows up. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And um, he's going to be an unbelievable recruiter for us. And I think the kids are going to um, are going to play well for him. I think he's going to have that rapport with them. Um, he's you know he's got a, he's been around. He's got a lot of experience. He's from North. You know he played at UNC, um, right. but he's been coaching. I you didn't think, know he, that. You could have left that fact out, Larry. I know. Well, you know, we, <laughs> we, you know, we, 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 when we first met years ago, you know, that was kind of a connection we had. And we used to, and then he, he, every time he could come to Venice from recruiting, he comes and, um, and sees us. Um, and, um, and, you know, he's been, he's actually been in Florida, for, you know, down here coaching most of his career, you know, USF, you know, Central Florida. He was down at FIU. Um, so he's, 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 he's had, you know, a lot, he's very well respected in the coaching business. And I think he's a great, great addition that coach Shank decided to retire to kind of fill those shoes. Do you know if, do you know if Shank had, uh, you know, Shank's still on the staff, uh, obviously Houston's going to hire who he wants, but did him, do you know if Shank and him had any kind of relationship? Was there a nudge? Yeah. They, yeah. They knew each other. Okay. They, they knew each other. And then, um, and and it was kind of like I think I think Shank kind of signed off on it really you know just you know for my just talking to Coach Mo and he was so excited to get there and then like um, you know he talked to Shank you know there was some dialogue with Shank and then once he got there you know uh, he he told Coach Shank like you you better you better you better come into my meeting room you better don't you better be around and help you know and, and making sure you know and even though you're not coaching on the field no more you better you know, you better be be in the trenches with us, you know. So that's that's cool. Coach Moe's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, and talking about rapport with players, having that kind of relationship with Shankweiler, who these kids have been playing for, that, that's only going to make them buy into him even more. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, I was so tickled to hear that, man. I, I knew that we we're going to miss a beat up front, you know, with, with Coach Moe. And um, and he'll he's going to be – he's a phenomenal recruiter too, man. He goes into these high schools and he knows how to talk to kids. And uh, so – Looking forward to that. And that's something, Kyle, um, that Coach Houston in a couple interviews I've heard with him since Alan Mogridge is hiring, that Coach Houston has said that he made one call, and, and that was to interview one man for the job. Now it's Alan Mogridge that they had known him for several years. And yeah. uh, Coach Shank spoke very highly of him, as Larry said, and, uh, and Coach Houston obviously already had a high opinion of him. Larry, we uh, we saved the toughest question for last. Can you give us a before you go? Can you give us your favorite Jimmy Johnson story or John Gruden story? Um. Well, Jimmy Jimmy Johnson was would love boxing, and so he you know he was he would always like use boxers analogy and and maybe show some clips. Um, you know, the one thing about Jimmy Johnson, he was like a CEO of the team, you know, he did, you know, he would, you know, he would, he would roam the field and have his, you know, and, and, and kind of have his thumb on, you know, and, and you know, and, and just kind of like walk around as like the CEO. Right. And I'm, I'm in charge. This is my football team. And I'm, I'm the general manager also, and I'm picking these players and I'm, and uh, he, you know, he, you know, he, he, he was he, all, he, you know, he earned his money, like, off the field, you know, like with the, in the meeting rooms and the, and the motivation and, and, and drafting the players and signing the players talent wise. 
and that, that that was a weird experience for me because I, I come from from ECU and Steve Logan, the head coach. I mean, he's calling the football plays. You know, he's coaching the quarterbacks and and um, he's in the weight room working out with you. Then I go to Oakland and John Gruden is like a college coach. He's calling the plays. He's talking trash to the defense. He's visible in the offense or meeting room. He's leading the he's leading the, uh, the he's leading the meeting. You know, he's he's not. You know, he is the offensive coordinator. You know, and and, and so that was just two different sides of the NFL that I seen. Um, you know, I, I think if you know John Gruden, you know, he would if if a player if a defensive guy intercept the ball, he would go chase him. You know, but you know, like if a corner intercepted the ball and was like and was running back for a touchdown, John Gruden would just go chase him. You know, and I, and uh, you know, they would they would kind of make him miss and you know or whatnot. But he would get pissed off when when a quarterback threw an interception. Um, you know, I, I, they were just two different two different uh, type of coaches, and uh, but both of them very successful, but just did it did it different ways. And um, and um, you know, just you know, Gruden was so intense. And um, and then he, you know, if if you if you could do something on film to stand out, I remember one time he was like, uh, "Hey, when we score against the defense, you know, we're in training camp or whatever, we score, you're going to spike the ball, and when you spike the ball, I want it to be over your head when it bounces up. That's how hard I want you to spike it. So I so I scored one day and I spiked the ball, and then on film, like it goes over my head, and I just point to it like that." You know, like there is a, I wanted him to see it was over my head. So in the film room, he stopped the tape and he's like, see there, Shannon. He's like, you listened, you know? And, I, and he's like, yeah, I, I see you pointing out that the ball is over your head. And so <laughs> that, that, that was fun. You know, learned, you know, that was, that was a cool experience. Whatnot. No doubt. And uh, we're really proud of you. Thank you for hopefully we can find a way to get uh, a pipeline from your high, high yeah. school ECU. Yeah, my you know my my son's uh, my son's done playing football, so hopefully I can um, I can I'm I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to get a little bit more time off so I can make some games and, and do some things in Greenville. We haven't really had the opportunity with the young kids, and then him playing pop Warner, him playing football for us, and I'm still coaching. I'm I'm actually um, I'm moving in a year from now. I'm moving. I'm not I'm not quitting coaching, but I'm I'm becoming an athletic director um, a year from now. So I'm kind of going starting looking forward to starting my second career as I'm going to lead this high school and, you know, in an administrative role. So I'm still going to coach wise. I do that for a few more years, but looking forward to finally, maybe as our kids are older, getting up to Greenville more and, and watching the pirates in action and, and uh, seeing the great people up there. And what are you three, three and a half hours from Boca? Yeah, I'm, I'm across. Um, yeah, it's about three hours, two forty-five. So that's, you know, I was so mad last year. Um, you guys were coming up to ECU's coming up to play South Florida in Raymond James. That's 45 minutes from my house. I moved to Boca. <laughs> it got moved. Hurricane, hurricane's yeah. coming. And so not only did I miss the game, I had a, uh, I had a suite, you know, a bunch of us from Venice were going to come up. We have a suite in, in the Tampa Bay Buck stadium. We're going to watch the pirates. It's a Saturday night game. You can't get any better than that. The game gets canceled. And then we have a hurricane come through. And I lose power for six days, uh, you know, or, you know, we got damage everywhere. I'm living off a generator and I'm like, man, what a bad deal. And then I missed the, missed the pirates down here in Florida. And then this year we're going to play South Florida. I don't think, I think 
We're playing Boca. We're playing, playing Boca. Boca, though. I'm definitely going to be there because we got two two Venice kids there. But I'm definitely going to be wearing a purple shirt that day, though. And that's November the 11th. I, I have that circle yeah. because I'm like, man, I would love to be able to. The tickets are very reasonable, too. It's just the cost of, of traveling. Yeah. yeah. Larry, uh, I got one more quick question for you. I don't know if anybody else does, but uh, when you when you were here, your pulse, your your pulse, your path crossed with a guy who he calls himself the greatest pirate of all time. You have any Matt Semenza stories? Matt Semenza? Yeah. Oh man. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it was cool. I mean, you know, we came in together, and you know, and and then um, well, we you know, Matt Matt came in uh, I think a year after me, but he didn't redshirt. He. Uh, so we ended up, you know, graduating the same year, um, you know, kind of being that uh, 997 class or whatnot. So um, Matt, Matt was just an animal on the field, man. He was so intense, right? And, and, and he, you know, he didn't let anything hide about, you know, you know his, his ability, you know, a very confident player, uh, tough as nails, and just a good locker room dude as well. And, um, you know, I, I think you know, I think Matt used to kind of want to take his shirt off all the all the time when he got downtown <laughs> and stuff. So he kind of wanted to uh, impress the ladies a lot, you know. But um, yeah, no, like that's one guy that I mean, you know, Matt Semenza was a guy like, you know, you wanted to have your back, you know, if anything ever ever happened. Yes, and, sir. Uh, yeah, and he's 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 a good dude and a, and a good pirate, and we have some good times together, you know, amongst the team in the locker room, traveling, or whatnot. So, and uh, so, yeah, Matt has become a huge part of the sport. part of our team. We, 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 me and Bubba talked over each other. Matt's become a huge part of the sports objective, and uh, yeah, I I've seen some, heard some, uh, some of the shows and stuff, and I see the social media posts, and I'm like, that's awesome. I bet you know, he's good at that, man. Yeah, he's, he's, Matt's a great guy. Where's he at tonight, fellas? He's working, unfortunately. He wanted to be here with us, and okay. he, Larry knew you were coming on. Uh, <clears throat> Johnny Gardner says, Larry, as many of your era teammates are tremendous ambassadors for ECU, great pirates. No doubt about it, Johnny. Amen to that. Uh, great uh, great group of guys, a lot of wins, and uh, definitely the word I use a lot that Matt teases me about is swagger. We we got to have that swagger from the '90s, man. Yeah, man. Like, it's never gonna die, man. Like you guys know, like it's. I, I want to say, you know, we, we, you know, what, you know, we had so much success, and and there was a lot of ups and downs, but man, I think we, we, you know, we 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 showed everybody how to do it, and and um, and kind of like put the put the school on the map, you know, kind of before I got there, but we were able to kind of resurrect and and have that success and. And, um, and it's just a great, great area of, of ECU football, man. And no doubt about it. Well, good luck to you this year. Obviously, uh, we appreciate uh, the time, the visit. As always, don't be a stranger. And uh, good luck to you uh, this season coming up. I appreciate it. We're hoping to be back playing in our third straight state championship. Oh, and, man. And, um, you know, it's it's been a fun ride. But uh, I appreciate, the, appreciate that, Dave. No problem. All right, Have a good night. See you, Coach. Nice visit there with Larry Shannon and uh, DG. I know I was looking at the time. You've been with us uh, marathon tonight. I appreciate it. I didn't know how much time you had. We were going to try to talk hurricanes, but I didn't know if you had. No, it's all good. I, I wanted you guys to take the lead with Larry because uh, I do know him and of him, of course. But since you guys are in the ECU trenches, I, I'm just happy to kind of be a, 
a spectator for most of that. Uh, no doubt. Uh, so tell me, uh, will the Hurricanes choke this year, or they will they get it done against the Islanders? I think they'll beat the Islanders. I think it gets really tricky after that because, you know, Andre Svechnikov, one of their top scorers, got hurt during the regular season. Tavo Teravainen, another of their top scorers, just got hurt. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're a solid team. They get good goaltending from Antti Ranta. They have a pretty reliable defense. But I don't know how much further – uh, beyond this first round, I, again, I think they'll finish off the Islanders. But the competition obviously gets tougher. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't have as optimistic a view as I have some of these other recent seasons with uh, Rod Brindamore as the head coach. Yeah, the injuries is a, a big factor. Like you said, we have like four players, four of your best players are not playing right now. It's not a, a good sign. There's just not nobody has that much depth in goal scoring. You know, if you lose a defenseman, you can usually find another one. Sometimes, even if you lose a goalie, you can find a decent backup the way the Canes do things. But you lose too many goal scorers that you're just there's nowhere to find that level of goal score. So it's going to be just going to be tough to score enough goals to go far. I got to give you credit because years ago on the David Glenn show, you talked about something I'd never thought about when I should have. And that was with Major League Baseball not having a team between Washington and Atlanta. Mm-hmm. With the with the move now, it looks like with uh, Oakland, I've been wanting to ask you this question for several days now. Will Charlotte get a team uh, with the expansion? Going to Nashville. Yeah, they're going to go to Nashville. I don't think. I mean, I, I hope. I hope North Carolina gets a team. I mean, it's crazy, guys. We're the eighth most populous state in the country. And the top seven all have at least one and sometimes multiple Major League Baseball franchises. So demographically, we're in the conversation. But you guys, the the reality is we're a little spread out as a population. So if we're – I forget what our population is as a state. I think it's 11 or 12 million people. We're we're spread out enough that – you know, Charlotte's our biggest population, greater Charlotte area. Triangle's our second biggest. Triad's our third biggest. And I'm not sure Charlotte, which already has the Panthers of the NFL, already has the Hornets of the NBA, and just recently got uh, the MLS franchise. You need They got that MLS franchise because David Tepper, one of the wealthiest owners in all of professional sports, decided he wanted an MLS franchise. And a league like the MLS is going to pay attention when mega billionaire David Tepper wants a franchise. Who is that person right now that in Charlotte or the triangle or the triad, that's that passionate about baseball specifically, but also has that kind of deep pockets. I haven't seen that person emerge or that group emerge yet. And that's one reason I just can't be optimistic that major league baseball is coming here to North Carolina anytime soon. Yeah, it's a shame because if you look at it, really, you talk about the population. I think a Major League Baseball franchise, as long as they're decent, would probably get more support statewide. You know, you you already had entrenched Redskins fans, particularly in the eastern part of the state. You you, you got, you know, hockey, you're kind of dealing with transplants who who are from up north who adopt the, the Hurricanes. 
And then basketball, we love college basketball. It is what it is with the Hornets. But with baseball, particularly, maybe I'm speaking from Eastern North Carolina. Eastern North Carolina people love baseball. No doubt. And, and, and there, you know, you got some Braves fans. You got some Orioles fans. Uh, you got some, you know, there, there's not a one specific, you got, I'm a Cubs fan. So I, I think that a lot of people would immediately adopt the team if they would put one here. The problem is, like you said, who's going to be the owner? And Nashville has become – it's the new it city. Nashville it is, is. Like red hot. That's well put. There's no doubt about it. I'd love to see it in the triangle because, remember, um, not only does Charlotte have NFL, MLS, NBA, basically the greater Charlotte area is the home of NASCAR. I mean, so you're, you're pulling that sports and entertainment dollar in a lot of directions already in, this, in the greater Charlotte area. The Triangle has obviously a great college sports culture. The Triangle has the Hurricanes. But the Triangle is pretty darn populous, too. And I, I like what you said about Eastern North Carolina. I mean, whether it's high school baseball, college baseball, or a passion for baseball more generally, I think, you know, where I am in kind of sort of central North Carolina to my east, that's, that's baseball t- country. Um, there have been proposals to have something in the triad at times. Yep. Theoretically, you'd have the huge population of Charlotte that could just drive 90 minutes to the triad. The huge population of the triangle could just drive 90 minutes to the west to the triad. And then the triad itself has a decent population. But I, I don't I don't know if the triad's big enough to host. No. Uh, probably not. So but it does come down to you need to you need a stadium. You need an owner. And right now, neither of those things is in focus for the state of North Carolina. And I'd love for you know, I, I to put it in the triangle, to put it in Raleigh, uh, that would be great. I, I just, oh God, I, would love I that. didn't even, I've never thought about that as a realistic possibility. But we do have an NHL franchise there, so maybe. But I, I think it would draw extremely well. It would be complicated. You know, you'd have to find the land for the stadium, and th- that's why that's why we're not on the front burner. If the right because that next franchise, Nashville or wherever else, is going to come soon, relatively soon. If for for our state to become a real player, there there would have to be some combination of a prominent politician, a prominent business owner. You, you got to find and dedicate land that would be required to build that kind of stadium. I guess a multi step process. Um, there'd probably be some you know tax some sort of legislature involvement, et cetera. Those are all, that's a lot of hoops to jump through, and, and we're just not anywhere near any of that. What about with uh, with the Panthers? You know, there was some talk, and of course they put the trading facility down in Rock Hill. Is that an option where they have a lot of land? They seem to be as far as like taxes and a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, that they would be willing, more willing, I think, than North Carolina. Is South Carolina even an option? There's not a team there. I'd be surprised at that, and I'm not sure where it stands right now, but last I saw, the Panthers bailed on that South Carolina plan. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. That, that, that original plan has taken a detour. Um, oh. So, yeah, I don't, I, don't think it, I don't think that's likely at all, Dave. I think you might be right in terms of available land, but um, put, putting something on the south side of Charlotte, I, I don't think there's enough population there to support a, a Major League Baseball team. Yeah, I was I was thinking about from the perspective of East Tennessee, West Virginia, Virginia, 
North Carolina, would you have South Carolina, would you have enough for that one team? I don't know, but I do agree with you. I thought the MLS before the David Tepper deal came down, I thought Raleigh had a really good shot at MLS. I really did. Yeah, David Tepper made all the difference in the world because we you knew that MLS was not coming to both the Triangle and Charlotte, right? They were going to fill a hole on their map with one or the other. And when David Tepper stepped forward, that was the end of that. I mean, it sounds strange to us mere mortals, but there is a difference between a billionaire with a B and a guy worth $15 billion, which is what David Tepper is. Um you know, a billionaire could buy probably a, a National Hockey League team. A billionaire, you need, meaning those lower billions, is not going to buy a Major League Baseball team. Um, and so, do the there's only so many billionaires in the state of North Carolina, right? You so you need you need one or more of them to step forward, and the legislature and pick which, you know, where it would be and develop that land. Um, I, I'd love to see it happen, man. It's, to me, it's the only major sport we don't have. Right. We have every college sport you can want. We have pro golf. We have NASCAR. We have NHL, NBA, NHL. We, we get some cool tennis tournaments, pro, pro tennis tournaments here, Winston-Salem and otherwise. We have almost everything. Um. And I'd love to see just before my sports time is done, us kind of just cap it off with a major league baseball franchise. It's been something I've been wanting since a little boy, but uh, I remember back in 2018 when when commissioner Manfred said that they were trying to get the Oakland stadium the like, Oakland's a huge disaster. I'm not going to go down that path, but they've lost everything. Uh, and then, uh, he also mentioned about with Tampa Bay, with Tropicana, that's been a disaster from the beginning. He said, once we get those two stadium situations fixed, uh, fig- figured out, then we're going to add two teams. And he said, I'll never forget, he mentioned Montreal, Charlotte, and Mexico City. Yeah. For the- I, remember the, I remember those statements. I mean, we were talking about it on the radio. It, it was exciting to hear anybody with any authority associated with major league baseball mention our state in any way. That was, that was a thrilling moment. Um, But it shows you how things can change in a relatively short period because around the time of that conversation, Nashville really wasn't even on the radar. Um, And now it's the leading candidate. So that's how things can change. And anybody, isn't everybody in Tennessee, uh, 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 damn it, Cardinals fans. I mean, uh, there, there are a lot of Cardinals fans there for sure. Oh, see, don't need to, you know, it's, yeah, bad idea. Don't go to Nashville. <laughs> You're shooing away, bring them here to North Carolina. We'll, yeah. we'll see how that uh, plays out. Are, is there anything as far as legislation? I'm hearing uh, state legislators, uh, senators today about NIL. Is there anything? You're the lawyer. We're not. Is there anything that we can do to make things? Uh, it, it seems like we we always say the Wild, Wild West with NIL, but is there anything nationally that we can do to to have an equal playing field, so to speak, where at least on paper you see like okay, if you do this, this happens. I know how you how you talk about the NCAA, but it's just frustrating with NIL stuff that it's not really regulated at all. Well, the weird thing about the current circumstance is that 
after basically, you know, a half century of the NCAA telling the United States government to stay out of their business, the NCAA is asking the United States government to be the solution. Yeah. Um, that's how dramatically things have changed. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But, you know, the ACC's commissioner, Jim Phillips, talked about needing a national resolution to this. Uh, the, the new NCAA president has talked about it. They're basically begging Congress. They're almost saying we're less concerned about exactly how the rules play out. We're more concerned that you give us a system to play by. Because right now it is a weird patchwork of state legislation. Um, and it's going to, you know, it's going to be that for a while. Most states are just trying not to tie their school's hands behind their back. They're looking at what the rules are in other states and saying, you know, don't burden us in a way that we have a competitive disadvantage versus these out-of-state schools. Um, and that's what we're stuck with for a while. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. We're, we've talked about the possible path to the future. Um, one of them is congressional intervention. Obviously, one is just a status quo continuing forward. One at someday is college athletes having something similar to a union, even if you don't call it a union, and negotiating terms. This is what the new world's going to look like. Uh, that takes a lot of things that would put the NCAA in legal jeopardy, and it makes it puts it on firmer legal footing because you have parties, you know, negotiating in, in an open and fair way. But we're not, I don't think we're near that either. Uh, so I think we're stuck with what we have for a little while longer. I know you've been generous for way, way generous for your time. I had a question about as far as conference realignment, do you see that happening with uh, Big Ten, Big 12 expansion and uh, Pac-12 going away? I don't know. It's, it's a great question. Obviously, the Big Ten and the SEC are the two places where they're making so much money that it's making everybody else ask a lot of hard questions. And the, the Pac-12 is really the weakest of the five, uh, what some people call the power five. The ACC likes its position as the, the third most prominent conference. But the ACC sometimes bites its fingernails wondering if somebody's going to challenge the grant of rights, which is the legal document that has helped keep the league together uh, as long as it has without losing anybody, you know, the way they lost Maryland more than a decade ago. So I, I think the ACC is in a solid position, and, and I think it's really the Big 12 and the Pac-12 that are in the midst of having to make some hard decisions after – both of those leagues lost a couple of their most prominent schools. Do you see it? Do you see a situation where uh, they have, because I'm hearing that obviously Oregon, Washington goes to the big 10 to be like, be there for USC and UCLA. So they don't have like to travel the volleyball team all the way across all the, all the travel. Then I'm also hearing uh, that that's the more believable. The other one I've heard, a few weeks ago was that Stanford and Cal were also in the mix because not only the academics, but also more teams that would be there in, you know, California uh, to help out with UCLA and USC. And if that's the case, it seems like the four quarter schools that they leave and go to the big 12. And all of a sudden you're down to a couple teams left in the pac 12. Yeah. And that's where your scenario, the, the big 12 would have to ask themselves, are those leftovers for the pac 12? worth scooping up if it came to that. And 
you know, that's, that's a little bit down the road. So I don't know what's going to happen. What's crazy guys is that we're so far down the current path that I'm not sure anybody has the leadership to take a step back and say, you know what, if we really want to treat football differently or football and men's basketball differently, um, you could create super conferences in those most lucrative sports while letting all your other sports on campus still compete in some kind of geographic conference that makes sense. Right. But, you know, that makes too much sense for it to happen <laughs> because we're, we're, it, the world just doesn't work that way. So um, everybody's watching the PAC 12 to see if it's sustainable and everybody's watching Clemson and South Car- uh, excuse me, Clemson and Florida state, especially in the ACC to see if one or both of them are going to challenge the grant of rights in a legal sense and say, you know, we think there's a loophole and we're going to roll the dice and leave for this other league and dare you to sue us. Right. Um, that, that makes the ACC nervous, but I don't think that that's going to happen there. There actually have been reports that it's going to happen later this year, but I haven't seen any of the top journalists back up those reports. And also the quick ad I was going to say to that is about the unequal profit sharing, you know, with a TV deal, giving the most money to Florida State and Clemson. I don't think that's a good idea because Oklahoma and Texas, they bailed anyway. Yeah, it is. I do know this in the 70 year history of the Atlantic Coast Conference. The only time I'm aware of that it has ever been on the table in terms of a possibility is this past year. I asked the question of Commissioner Jim Phillips at that ACC media event. I was the one that asked that question. And he said that it is something that they are talking about. He didn't commit to it. Um, but you're right, Dave. If if a school has an inkling that it probably wants to leave, somewhere down the road, it's probably going to leave. Right. So are you going to upset 70 years of the way you've been doing business to try to keep them happy for a period of two to four to six years just so that they can leave six years down the road anyway? It's a, it's a fascinating philosophical question. Um, Jim Phillips has, you know, a couple of difficult issues on his hands. That is one. The ACC being so far behind the, the Big Ten and the SEC financially is another. Um, again, they don't mind being in the third best position compared to what the big 12 and the PAC 12 are dealing with. But uh, they spent decades being in the number one a or one B position. So compared to that feeling like you're the third best conference or in the third firmest position doesn't feel so good. No question. Now, Bubba, I know you had a question about Alec Burleson uh, for, for wow. DG. I didn't have a question. I was just going to bring up before we close that, that Burley hit his third home run of the season today. So Nice. He's fun yeah. to watch. A Cardinal. So, you know, I'm not a Cardinal fan, a Cardinals fan, but I, I, I really love Burley. So I and hope it, he does and, it, and it happened at McCovey's Cove. So that, that was pretty cool. Um, I, I had flashbacks to, I'm trying to remember which ESPN anchor it was, but that, They'd say there's a hole in the bottom of the sea or a hole in the bottom of the bay or something of that nature. Uh, no doubt. 
Uh, before we let you go, DG, we've got to ask you, uh, you said you were going to, can you announce anytime soon about your media stuff or is it still too early? I put you on the spot. I know. But- yeah, no, I don't, I don't mind the question. Um, we're still working on that same project. I have okay. told my business partner that if we raise a certain amount of money from sponsors across the state by a certain date, uh, that, that we'll launch it this summer. And if we just if we can't raise that kind of funds, you know, I'm the kind of guy that something's either worth doing right or it's it's not worth doing. I'm not going to I've been there and done that with radio and TV and magazines and websites. I'm a very fortunate guy to have traveled the paths that I have traveled. Um, So when it comes to diving in back into sports media full time, I love what I do part time. Um. It's going to have to be a big, big economic model. Um, and those are very hard to build right now. Whether you're running a podcast or a sports radio station or yeah. what, it's it's hard. The media world is a very, very, very complicated world right now. So going to take a big bite at the apple. We'll see if we get reach the goal that I had set. If we don't, there will be no launch. If we do, there will be a launch. Um, and I probably will have another career update for you the next time we talk, whenever that is, I, uh, I'm contemplating something beyond sports right now that would still allow me to be in sports on a, on a secondary kind of scale, the way I'm doing things now. So I'm excited about it, but, but our timing is just a little bit off. If we were talking a week or 10 days from now, I'd be able to share it, but I'm not at liberty to do so right now. Okay. Well, maybe before your usual sabbatical or afterwards, after your sabbatical, we'll have you on so you can talk about it. That's a deal. All right. And I know chapelborough.com. Yep. Uh, you got a lot of great articles there and you're still teaching at UNC Wilmington. Having a lot of fun with UNCW, having a lot of fun. I post every Wednesday at chapelborough.com. My current column is about the NFL draft and actually what a big TV product it has become. As Mm -hmm. crazy as it sounds, there are some first rounds of the NFL draft, like some people are enjoying tonight, where there are more millions of listeners or viewers rather for the first round of the NFL draft than for many World Series baseball games. Wow or for many NBA Finals games, actual games in championship series of other popular American sports, not always, but sometimes are, those audiences are sometimes less than the, like two years ago, I think the number was 12 point something million people watched the first round of the NFL draft two years ago. It was a little smaller last year, but when I did that research, I couldn't believe it. And some of my favorite articles to write include information that shocked me while I was doing my research. So I get to pass along some of the fun info and, and the shocking revelations that I, that I found in my own research. That's, that's, you know, good, good rule of journalism is be curious. A lot of times when you're curious, what you find is what you expected other times when you're curious, what you find is not what you expected. And those stories sometimes are even more fun. No doubt. DG, as always, thank you so much. I think the longest uh, time you've ever been <laughs> But thank you. We appreciate it. And I hope you have a good one, bro. Uh, and I uh, hope you have a good summer. 
Great to be with you guys as always, Dave, Bubba. Um, it was really fun to talk with Larry and Kyle as well. So always appreciate you having me. I always have a great time with you all. Keep up the good work and uh, look forward to our next visit. Thanks, no, DG. Appreciate you got it. it, guys. Have a good night. See you. All right, Bubba, I'll be right back. And just like that, he had disappeared into the cornfield. No, uh, appreciate everyone tuning in tonight. You know, pirate football season tickets uh, continue to be on sale up to the start of the season. And um, you can call 1-800-ECU or go to ecupirates.com to get your season tickets. Uh, you know, as of a couple weeks ago, or just under a couple weeks ago, we had sold a little over 12,000, so more than 75% to our goal of 16,000. So uh, really need to continue to get that atmosphere back to where it had been at Dowdy Ficklin. And there you see the home schedule on the screen beginning September 9th, game two of the season against Marshall Thunder and Hurd. Uh, and then a couple weeks later, Gardner-Webb. And then within the American, you have SMU. Charlotte, Tulane, and then the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Um, so six home games this year. And, uh, you know, really, really look forward to uh, continue to uh, develop that season ticket base that we that we had years ago. No doubt. Thank you, Bubba. Uh, you took one for the team. I appreciate it very much. Bubba always te teases me about uh the town bank tower story one of his favorite ones and that was another moment bubba i was trying really hard to <laughs> make it through the whole show uh without using the restroom but i got to a point there where i had no choice so thank you so much for uh yes i just submitted that on the air but i didn't want people to think i was bailing out on bubba it was not it had nothing to do with i was mad at bubba or um anything other than nature calls. So thank you, Bubba, for, for holding down the fort there for me. I wasn't trying to leave you hanging there, so to speak. So I uh, want to thank also uh, Stevie Fly. Don't forget about him on the fly and the final score. He, Stevie's a really good dude, like him a lot, and we'll try to have him back on from time to time. He uh, offers a lot of great inside high school football coach and, and the like and a great ECU guy. Um, one final thing I have, Bubba, I know we're going very long. Uh, you have the Pirate Club up there, ecupirateclub.com. Give them a call, 252-737-4550. Look, folks, I'm telling you, we were talking about having uh, with the NIL, if we can get this capital project going, and uh, we're, we're doing good, but we need to do even better. And Bubba, I know you helped me out. Um, I had an initial goal of 2,500. I've worked really hard, as you know, Bubba, with selling baseball tickets, all kinds of crazy stuff. I have vehicles to sell. I've got a gift card today. I put that towards $50 towards uh, the Pirates uh, Pirates Unite campaign, our capital campaign for our indoor practice facility with Menjis, with baseball, uh, with a team building expansion, and plus also uh, with the swimming, uh, women's swimming locker room renovation. Uh, I put another $2,500 up. I know that people probably won't make that commitment, can't make the commitment, whatever, but I just want to put a challenge out to every Pirate fan. Bob, I was thinking about this afternoon, getting ready for the show. If every Pirate fan would just give $100 for Pirates Unite, think about where we would be. $100. And you can actually give, um, Bubba, they can give all along. Um, you don't have to, if you want to donate the 100 now, or if you want to 
do like Netflix and do it, you know, eight, nine dollars a month, whatever the case may be. Bubba's the numbers guy, not me. Um, you can do that. So give them a call, 252-737-4540, or just do like I do. Go to ecupiratesclub.com, and you can donate right there. And your pledge for your annual fund, but also for Pirates Unite, is a really big deal. Yep. Um, I would love to know how many donors have contributed to Pirates Unite now. I know, you know early in this year it was what right around 400 right around oh it, it was i believe it was more than that but you know right. no more than 350 to 400 and which very small percentage right uh, let, let's say for the sake six, of simple math if it was six grand in the pirate club yep. then uh, you know that's obviously still well shy of 10 uh, percent of your donors just you know, it's about seven percent of the pirate club members who are also contributing to Pirates Unite some, somewhere in that neighborhood. But um, on a positive note, uh, Team Boneyard, um, Team Boneyard, you know, they've really been pushing. Uh, Working hard. Yep. You know, a, a lot on social media from uh, you know, student athletes um, tweeting about the importance of it, which is awesome. But then also you've had you know, several folks, um, step up and you know, give 500 plus uh, because I mean, they're doing something with team boneyard where if you, if you, I believe it's in excess of $500, then you get a pretty sharp looking um, trucker hat for team boneyard. And that can be broken down monthly, like your pirate club and season ticket purchases or contributions. So um, keep that in mind when you're contemplating giving the team Boneyard that it can be monthly or just in a, a lump sum. So um, go to teamboneyard.org today. And you know, here in the not too distant future, you know, we'll, maybe we'll have um, Hank Hinton or uh, Vern Davenport back on and talk about the progress that Team Boneyard has made over the last few months. They're doing a great job and I uh, want to give a shout out to them. Hank and Henry and everybody behind that because uh, it's the collective is very important. Um, like I was saying before, Kyle was right. The collective is actually the most important thing. However, we've got to get our facilities. We're behind on that. So once we start to get the facilities where we want, then we can donate a lot more money. Not that I'm not going to donate money to Team Boneyard. I am, but I'm trying really hard to, Bubba knows uh, my with uh, baseball and in, that indoor practice facility. We're very close on baseball. Um, I would say Bubba off the top of my head. I think we talked about, it. I think we're about a million and a half short on that off uh, roughly. Uh, I would say maybe a million, a million and a half on baseball. And uh, we've got several million, not too bad on um, indoor practice facility, but certainly we're not as close as we are on baseball being an $18 million project versus what was it? 7 million Bubba. Off the top of my head, I, I think yeah, that's right. Seven, eight million for the baseball yeah. ops building, and then yeah. price tag for the indoor practice facility, r- roughly eighteen to twenty million, right? Depending on where you break down and how how much the construction cost has have risen, and right. uh, and what all what all uh, that project will include as far as some of the bells and whistles, perhaps with the, the recognition of. Uh, and former letter winners like a Larry Shannon who 
were drafted or uh, you know, had excellent careers as Pirates or obviously in most cases both and uh, All-American honors and all those sorts of things. Yeah, there's so a that's, lot. Of- that's something that's great that we recognize the All-Americans in the stadium. That needs to be done. But then you have so many guys. Um, you know, the, all, that All-American recognition, that's determined by the outsiders. So and right. there's obviously only so many of those spots. So you have guys like your uh, David Garrards, Marcus Crandall's, um, and just so many, and just a long, long list of of names uh, that were tremendous players that weren't necessarily all Americans, but uh, they're the best of the best for the Pirates and need to be recognized as such. Yes, they do. And there's more. Uh, we were talking about. Let me say this. I want to be careful when I say it. The uh, as far as Team Boneyard is concerned, I'm definitely going to donate. But once we get done with that $60 million, uh, with the capital campaign, we're going to have to continue to uh, – I want to let everybody in Pirate Nation know uh, we need everybody's help for the $100 donors up, and we're going to have to continue to do that. We're going to have to continue to raise a lot of money. And so it's not going to stop at the $60 million. It's a lot of other stuff that we can and should do and, and eventually will do. But, uh, but these projects we got up there are obviously our top priority. Hey, Bubba, one of my thanks to Johnny Gardner. We haven't forgot PGX gloves. I uh, want to give a shout out to Kaz. Obviously appreciate all that he's done for the program. And uh, don't forget, uh, by the way, we've got a lot of great programming coming up. We have extra innings. Extra innings will be coming up Sunday. Good luck to the pirates, by the way, as they have a big series with Tulane. If you have not heard, we did a great show last night, thanks to Corey Glore and uh, Bubba and uh, and myself. We had a great time talking about Tulane in East Carolina. There was a lot of cool stuff there. Um, I know, uh, Bubba, a lot of great shows with Coach Jeff Connors uh, with Absolute Empowerment. We got that going on right now. Yeah, most recently, Coach Connors caught up with former NFL scout and spent decades with the New York Giants. So if you're an NFL fan, you know, specifically New York Giants fan, you're in the NFL East, um, take a listen in that, that interview. Um, Steve actually lives in the Triangle now. But uh, well worth your time to listen to that uh, hour-plus interview, just over an hour, right, right, right around 65 minutes with Steve Verderosa um, on Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors. Uh, Coach Connors continues to get uh, tremendous guests, um, be it uh, you know, former athletes, you know, scouts, coaches, sports psychologists, what have you. Right. Um, he's so well connected. And uh, we, we look forward to who he has here in the very near future. And I know some of the possibilities he's mentioned, I know Pirate fans will really enjoy, as well as um, you know, non, non-East Carolina listeners. And then – also, you know, you mentioned extra innings. I mean, next week we'll be catching up with Morgan and Holt Nailers. Yep. So after after Holton finds out where his landing spot is, and we'll discuss that the entire um, draft process and everything he went through. You know, playing in multiple All Star games and going down to Mobile and then Charlotte, uh, training with quarterback country, and just everything that went into this opportunity for Holton. No doubt. And hopefully uh, it's on our end that we got to work out a schedule with uh, Ryan Robinson. 
I know we're going to have him on. Hopefully we can have him on next week. And uh, coming soon, we'll have coach, uh, some of the football coaches, including head coach Mike Houston as well in the coming weeks. So we're working out there. They've been very busy, uh, rightfully so, with the transfer portal, with recruiting. So obviously, uh, we, I know that that'll be coming up uh, here in the next week or two. We'll work, we're working hard behind the scenes on that. Bubba, do you have anything before we go? Be sure to follow us on social media on Twitter at yeah. sportsobj on TikTok and Instagram at the Sports Objective. Like and follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. All right. I had a lot of fun. I will see where my commanders, uh, who they pick. There's a few picks away. Hope you enjoyed the draft. Good luck to all the pirates that are have declared. We hope that they have deals somewhere. That'll be great. And I know Bubba will have not only Holton, but we'll discuss that next week and when we have the, our earliest opportunity. For everyone, DG, for Stevie Fly, for Kyle from the Grange Barber, Bubba Rosenbaum, I'm Dave Richmond. You've been watching our draft special, our preview, right here on the Sports Objective. Good night, everybody. And as always, go Pirates. Every foot, every yard, every first down, every touchdown with the cannons flash.